Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Hey, everybody. Just Matthew here having a Star Trek. <laughs> Let's crack a Star Trek together. <laughs> just the two of us. Just, just pop, one, pop one open and tip them back. It's week 86 yeah, it of is. our 176-week project. That's good. We're almost halfway. I mean, we're two. I think we're two away from halfway, right? Pretty good. So It's coming. It's not the worst. Um, it's like 5 and 11. It's not the worst. <laughs> Last week's uh, fourth place finisher was Voyager. Yeah. All this basically. week we watched The Killing Game Part 2. Don't kill children. Don't run them over. Let them live their life and let them get older. Don't kill children. Don't run them over. Let them live their life and let them get older. I wish you'd started that one with that wow 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 the the guitar. <laughs> oh, sorry. Can you, can you do it again? do it again, but just for a few seconds? Yeah, yeah. I'll give you give you a little taste of that then. I don't know what it is about it that's so satisfying. I want it all the time. A big shootout is where we left off. Uh, I know that's a shock. Voyager crew, both awake and in, um, I don't know, the dream world. I don't know what we're calling this. Holodeck are invading Voyager through that big hole they accidentally blew last week. Janeway and Seven say they're going to employ the French resistance in their effort to take Voyager back. Credits. Which, uh, I guess we're left to assume there must be more of them than just... The five of them in that bar. Tuvok and Balan. And fucking <laughs> and Neelix dead already Neelix. died and went to the Klingons. So. <laughs> uh, uh, Harry Kim tells the Alpha Herogen that the only way to end this is to short out the entire holodeck network, but um, this dude refuses, and he also orders Janeway not be killed, but instead brought to him, if, if captured. If I told you that guy's name was Carr, would it make it easier for you to describe the rest of this episode? No, what's the lieutenant's name? Uh, Tur- Turange? Turange? Oh, that's nothing. Something like that? No, I'll go with Alpha and Beta. That works for me. Uh, Dreaming Chaco thinks that that bunker is a munitions research facility, and he sends three squads into that motherfucker. Um, they also take over the Resistant Restaurant HQ as their new base of operations. There is some very dumb fake character work between Hollow Balana and Hollow Teepee. That I don't know yeah. why it exists. Um, Janeway and Seven come back through a Jeffrey's tube behind the bar. Uh, Janeway says she can take out the bunker if Chaco's men can get her inside. Tuvok is confused about why she's suddenly buddies with Seven after they suspected her all of last week of being a traitor. Um, 
Janeway orders him not to move against her, though. The restaurant suddenly comes under fire, and I guess they decide to move in now? I, I don't I don't really remember. Shmalis and the Hirogen doctor get into an argument about treating severe Starfleet injuries versus minor Hirogen injuries, and um, doctor gets deactivated. The Hirogen says from now on, the prey, <clears throat> that's the Voyager crew, they stay where they fall, and only the Hirogen are going to be treated. Uh, Hollow TP finds Harry Kim in one of the corridors and thinks he might could be a spy. Probably because of how he looks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Kim, he doesn't come right out with it. <laughs> Kim barely passes the American test, and so TP doesn't pop him. <clears throat> Janeway takes Chaco to the Klingon simulation. Where Neelix... Yeah, by the way, how lucky was Harry Kim that Tom Paris didn't ask him who won the World Series or whatever? Because <laughs> he wouldn't even... At least he knows body parts. He would have said, I don't know, the fucking London Monarchs? I've heard London of London Kings? Um, I forget which team it is. The, who um, does Buck Wakai play for? It's the London Kings. London Kings? Uh, I've heard of... There's, isn't there a team on... Um, what's the what's the planet where Cassidy Yates's brother plays? Fuck. Uh, let's say Pike City Pioneers. Three. It's the Pike City Pioneers. I don't remember. Uh, what yeah. Planet. Uh, the Pike City Pioneers, probably. That's my guess. <clears throat> um, Is it the Homestead Grays, by any chance? <laughs> that's right. I've heard of them. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, so Kim gets away. Um, Janeway takes Chaco to the Klingon simulation where Neelix and his Klingon comrades are hanging out. Uh, and she tells Chaco, don't worry, these are just some strange people who live in some caves. And I guess Hollow Chaco is as dumb as regular Chaco, because he just goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> these uh, these dudes with the weird heads, they're just some dudes who live in caves. In Yeah, the, I, heard, I heard about you, French. Like, you know, a hundred meters from the city. <laughs> um, anyway, there's a panel in there that she needs to access, and it's just like, <laughs> it's covered in some dust. <laughs> And some weeds. So she like she brushes the <laughs> dust off of it and gets to it. And she wakes up the doctor. Uh, they decide that uh, Janeway's going to use these um, old-fangled World War II charges to blow out the console that controls all those devices everyone's got implanted in them to make them think they're holodeck characters. Um, back at the restaurant... Tuvok is still watching Seven, who is uh, improving some of these explosives with Borg tech. Um, the Hirogen authorized more hunters be sent into the fray. Janeway's caught in sickbay and wounded, but not before she locks out that uh, Hirogen. And um, as she flees, her charges explode, and everybody's dream devices shut down. Um, <laughs> well, you really are intent on phrasing this as dreaming i don't know what's what, happening in this episode because they're they're under a spell of some kind it's uh te- yeah, it's techno, techno magic spell. yes exactly just like the guy from babylon 5 who, who does the techno curse on on londo <clears throat> uh where was i let's see oh yeah so she she everyone wakes up as seven tries to explain to everybody what's happening the uh the nazis storm the restaurant in st Clair. And like all TV bad guys, they are very nice and they keep everybody safe. Yeah. So that they can make an escape attempt in a little while. 
TP shows off his cool 20th century knowledge and explains the Nazis to everybody in the room. Um, that hollow Nazi, you know, the one who fake knocked up Balana. He's messing yeah. with her, and TP is very dumb, so he's, he gets real mad about it. Uh, in the Klingon simulation, a now totally conscious Neelix is obligated to lead his Klingon comrades into some kind of battle, and Schmollis goes along with him. That's just nothing. We don't get to see any of that. <clears throat> Janeway is brought to the Alpha Herogen. I guess she was captured. Um, he tries to compel her to help him rebuild the holodecks, and he finally explains his big, motivating exposition to her. He's uh, receptive to her in this moment, so she takes advantage and starts working on a diplomatic solution. She offers the holodeck tech for her ship and her crew's safety. It seems like he's willing to go along with it. Unfortunately, things go south on the holodeck. Yeah. That beta Herogen, whatever you said his name was, Tarange. Tarange. He's tired of all this shit. He tries to make Seven sing, and she says she'd rather die. And he's getting real pissed off down there. Janeway and the Alpha announce their agreement, but the Beta Herogen and the Hollow Nazi are not into it. So the Hollow Nazi, who again has been programmed to talk a lot, yeah, gets a that's lot true. of real he's, beefy monologues. He's real mouthy in this program for sure. He does another big monologue that I guess convinces this Herogen to uh, trust his nature and kill the prey after all. Um, because this episode was missing, what it was missing was more shooting, I think. <laughs> Seeing the ceasefire break down, Schmollis and Neelix decide to get the Klingons involved in the fight. Kim and Janeway and the Alpha begin working on an overload of the Grid, and of course, the Beta comes in and shoots the Alpha to death. Uh, so that guy dies for what he believes in. The Beta lets Janeway escape so he can hunt her. Again, TV bad guys. Seven has a cool grenade that wipes out holograms and spares living tissue, but um, she's not she's not good at it. And she gets shot and just drops the grenade at her own feet, so all of their hollow allies go down, and her yeah. little gang is captured. The Beta Herogen chases Janeway to the border of the Holodex range, and as his rifle disappears, she hits him with, like, a fucking steel bar or something. And he runs away. <laughs> He's so much bigger than her. It doesn't matter. He's bigger and stronger, and if he just runs back ten feet, he can pick up another gun, but it's... whatever. Uh, the gang's about to be executed by the Nazis when the uh, Klingons snore out of nowhere. Somehow they know exactly who to kill and who to spare. Um, yeah, Neelix hangs back and is not directing the battle, but they do seem to know to attack the Nazis. Mm -hmm, despite the fact that, uh, I don't know, if I were a Klingon from a holodeck program, I don't think I'd be able to tell the difference between any of those fuckers. Uh, Janeway um, shoots the Beta with an, another old rifle, since they're back in the holodeck area again. And just then, Kim finds a way to shut down all of the holodeck characters. Not the whole holodeck, though. <laughs> In the next act, Janeway has somehow convinced the remaining Herogen to accept the truce, and she gives them the holodeck tech, even though I don't think they care about that. Uh, Voyager, we're told, is super damaged, but free again. So that's it. They got, they got away. What was this episode about? Uh, ben sticking with resistance is not futile. Um... Uh, last week's his take was there will always be resistance, something like that. Yes. And he's a four. Uh, I'm a four also, and I also think it's pretty similar to what was happening last week. 
uh, to survive, you have to look forward, not backward. Yeah, again, it's kind of the same area as part one. But when a Nazi gives a big speech rejecting civilization <laughs> and looking for for something primal from the past, you know that's got to be the opposite of the take. Yes, exactly. And just like last week, there's only one person in this episode with any motivation that's meaningful. That is correct. So. Yeah. Everyone else is just doing what they have to do. So that's kind of... Uh... I mean, that's it. I don't know what to say. Yep. It's kind of the same as last week. This guy's trying to ch- change the course of his whole civilization in a certainly in a less than ethical way have you done the have you, do you do reading on this why was this episode I mean, I, a two-parter or, or twice as long as a regular episode like what is the point they don't have anything to say it's not about oh, anything it doesn't advance the plot so like why well they thought it would be cool to do a big nazi episode big world war ii episode but a, but a two-part but like not like a 45 uh, so minute nazi episode i think the script got away from him maybe i think so it's possible. But they originally wanted to do it as a whole movie, right? Mm-hmm. As one two-hour movie. Two, well, you know, what would it be, an hour and a half or something movie? It's an odd choice. Um, yeah, and no, they just wanted to do a, a fun World War II movie in Voyager. Well, you know how Voyager is obsessed with not being Voyager? Yes, not having anything to do with the journey home and meeting strange a aliens. Movie and, or. Yeah. I mean, DS9 is too, right? DS9 and Voyager are the two Star Treks that don't that wish they were not Star Treks. Uh, yeah, I'd say that's like they, true. we used Star Trek to get greenlit, but now we're we got but a different we, idea. God, we wish we could do something else. So, yeah, I had um, civilization is the moral choice versus human nature. Um. I mean, it's a five. It's just, it's straight down the line. Like, the Alpha is desperate for the civilizing influence of the holodeck. And the Beta comes to embrace the nature of the, the, the basic nature of the Herogen and all that hunting bullshit. And um, same thing that Hollow Nazi keeps talking about. We got to do what's in our nature. Uh, the show picks a side, like you said, by aligning the bad guys together on right. one side. <clears throat> Not sure who's calling for a return to animal savagery, but it is 2020, so <laughs> anything is possible. Yeah, I haven't seen what the president has tweeted in the last couple of hours. <laughs> is it? I mean, it could be. It might just be hunt your neighbors. Who knows? We, we got your neighbors have bad, resources and you should take them. Real bad economic report came out today. <laughs> who, who knows what he's saying? Yep. And the brain rot. Don't forget the, the brain rot. Well, also that, yeah. Um... Flipping into execution. Uh, ben gave it a two. Uh, some things I picked out. How did the Rogen get the ship in the first place? It wasn't a big deal that they skipped this in part one, but I would have been... I would have liked an inkling as to how it all happened. Yeah, they... um. Oh, and then he says, usually Janeway would just blow the ship up if it was going to be taken. So they d- did not seem interested in telling us in the first episode. They gave us like a one-sentence throwaway, and they didn't even come back to it in this one. Um, and then he says the fake Nazi is suggesting mutiny because he was programmed to. I know the SS were famously disloyal. Oh, wait, the opposite of that. Yeah, this guy turns as soon as his boss tells him to let the, that they've come to a, an agreement. Yep. Uh, I gave it a four. So it's mostly a commando episode, but I thought it had more story effort than part one. Part of that's probably that they woke everybody up finally 
I think that makes it easier, certainly, yeah. Janeway finally doesn't totally suck in this one, but a lot of that is because her enemy doesn't suck either. It's one of those times when you get lucky, <laughs> and uh, the guy you run into turns out not to be a total maniac. She she really does play to the level of her adversary in a lot of cases, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Uh, but since much of what happens doesn't matter, even in-universe, in the episode, it's it's just not a fascinating story. So, just a four for me. Uh, I don't disagree. I have it as a four. Not all of this is well done. There are kind of too many reverses in the story. Yeah. Like, there's too much. The, uh, the rebels are beating the nazis then the nazis take control but oh seven's got a cool grenade oh but it blew up the americans instead. <laughs> right. like it's kind of too much yeah the, like you said the script got away from them it felt like a tos episode where they escape from jail six times in one episode yeah and like uh at one point kim starts a nine minute countdown till the holodeck overloads mm-hmm. and at that point all they have to do in there is stay alive they're, they don't have to do anything else. Like, not it doesn't matter that they don't defeat the Nazis because in two more minutes, there aren't going to be any more Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh, how stupid is it, by the way, that 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 you could that there's a nine minute countdown on an overload? Yeah, something which should occur at a sort of an unknown time because there will be some unknown margin of safety built into, and it doesn't matter. Yep, nine minute countdown. <sighs> The Klingons are in this episode for comic relief. The whole plot works exactly the same without them. Yeah. The CGI of Tarange falling to his death <laughs> is bad, even by Voyager standards. <laughs> yeah. It's like, was he a changeling? Why did he become shiny and gold when he <laughs> fell to his death? It didn't make a lot of sense. And um, uh, we get a big Voyager pattern continuing here. When we don't see Janeway pursuing diplomacy, it works 100% of the time. <laughs> Off screen, she's great. And when it. we do, it fails 100% of the time. It's like, we we cut to, she's made peace with four of these hunter ships, and they're just going to take this little fucking cube of who knows what. Yeah. Like, I don't know why they even believe her that that's a holodeck technology. And then they just fuck off. And they, what they don't do is take the thing and then say, all right, cool. Uh, also, the ship is still ours. <laughs> yeah, you, you fell for that one. Yeah, there's, you're a sucker. Thanks for this. Still a bunch of us. We're all over. Um, yeah, like, it's wild that she did some real good diplomacy and now they're just going to take Moriarty and go. <laughs> anyway, I was expecting even worse, so I still gave it four points. Yeah, it's it's right. It is kind of on a curve. Like, at least Janeway was trying to do something. There are often <laughs> yes. episodes where she doesn't even try diplomacy, or she thinks of diplomacy as some, like, great new tactic that she's going to try out for the first time or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, world building. Uh, Ben's as much as a four. He likes the Herogen in their shredder masks better than the open-faced helmets. Yeah, I mean, he thinks I don't think they look very... great on their face, so that's probably why. Yeah. He thinks they probably aren't even very good hunters, but they're just big, strong dudes. I mean, this is Seven of Nine leveled this exact yeah. criticism against a Herogen in an earlier episode. Yeah, Ben. It was, pretty good. it was pretty good when she told him he was just big. Why are you taking, why are you taking Seven's argument and claiming it's your own? <clears throat> um anyway he's a four but uh but i'm a one okay he, i guess the, 
Hirogen Cultural Revolution is must must be bigger, must have more steam behind it than just Car, right? Because she is able to make some progress with these guys. I mean, I guess I would think that, but even at the end, the guy who takes it is like, "What am I supposed to do with this? What is it? What? Yeah. I don't like this." And then she even says something like, "You can hang it on your wall if you want," and that's still enough. Yeah. But, like, what other world building is done in this episode? Mm, that's a good question. Okay, let's see. Uh, in the hall, in the holodeck, I guess the Herogen are recognized as Nazis, whether they're in Nazi uniforms or not. Because they, like, go into the ship and they talk about how the Nazis are putting up a hell of a fight in that bunker. But it's, like, it's probably just Herogen in there. I mean... Seven and Janeway do ice a Nazi in Astrometrics. That's there are definitely some Nazis in the ship. Yeah. Uh, that hollow grenade that will wipe out holographic characters, but, you know, no hollow scenery or anything. I, I don't know well, what it does. Like the way the whole overload doesn't <laughs> miraculously destroy Universal's uh, yep. little Europe. They're all or just whatever. sitting in St. Clair, just hanging out at the end. I'm like, I don't really understand what was happening. Why aren't they on the grid? Uh... The Herogen accepts the truce and takes some holodeck tech with them. Who knows what they'll do with it. Um, it's super easy, it turns out, to find real-world tech in the holodeck. Like, in TNG, you had to call for the arch. But in this <laughs> one, you just wipe some dirt away, and there's a panel. Or, like, look behind the behind bar, and there's a Jeffrey's tube. <laughs> right. Like, when did that happen, and why did they make that fucking switch? I had it as a two, but I wrote down that I could see a one, and that's me giving myself permission to give it a one, if someone else does. <laughs> so it's a one? It's a one. Because <laughs> even what, the things I thought of, I didn't like. And what about characters? No, I agree. <laughs> I understand where you're, where you're coming from on that. <laughs> uh, characterization. Uh, ben was just a three. Uh, he says Balana is fake pregnant to hide her being real pregnant. Um I think he means the actress. Um, is this the se- this is the season she's pregnant? I guess. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this is the only time that they show her pregnant. She doesn't have her special coat on, or she's not just shot to the neck or whatever. Right, right. Um, I was a little bit higher. I was right down the middle at a five. Um, our Herogen homie, he's still wrapped up in this dream of having a cool hollow hunt for his society. It seems to take priority over almost everything. Um, he's desperate and he comes to realize he's underestimated this prey uh, and he says he's learned a great deal about them and he has come to admire their cunning and in the end he dies for his ideals so most of the characterization points come from that guy <laughs> um, Janeway not good at improvising yes then quietly a munitions factory <laughs> it's like is that your bet that's the best you can do good thing he's a hollow idiot uh, why has she agreed to go back into this holodeck and <laughs> and re-engage in this scenario if she's immediately going to get, like, her improv chops are not up to it. She trailed sure. off at the end of that, like, Riker would. Like, she had no confidence in that. Uh, she also can't think of a Klingon house when Klingon Neelix asks her who she's with. Um, yep. So, yeah, she's just bad at that. But she does seize her opportunity when it comes time to talk to the Alpha, and off-screen, she manages a truce with the remaining Herogens somehow. It really, like, her log at the end is so fucking hand-wavy, it's wild. She's like, yeah, oh, we come to a stalemate, and so they're gonna leave, and we're gonna give them this thing. 
uh, and there was stuff they could have cut if they'd wanted to, you know, show her negotiating with them. But clearly they were not interested in doing so. No. No, in fact, they weren't interested in anything outside of the holodeck, really. Uh, TP is still a 20th century expert. He gets to tell <laughs> everyone all about Nazis and whatnot. Uh, he's easily baited by this fake Nazi made of light bragging about fucking his girl, which, if it happened, she doesn't remember. Right. If it didn't just happen off screen in the hollow story. Well, it looks like it happened about eight months ago and <laughs> doesn't seem likely that they would play in this hologram right. for eight months. So, so. hey, TP, like, uh, get, get with the program. Nothing. It's not like he don't fuck people in the holodeck. Yeah, all the time on main. That's his whole deal. Seven doesn't know enough to be offended by TP's description of the Nazis as the Borg of their time. She says if that offense is not taken. Um, let's see. I don't think she and, uh, and Tuvok can be buddies anymore. She gets real mad and says that logic is irrelevant. And then she gets madder and tells this guy, the Borg will conquer them someday. And that when they <laughs> do, this guy would, should think of her. The yep. Borg. I think she still thinks she's with them. Uh, Schmullis thought that um, his tally-ho remark was super cool. <clears throat> when he walks behind well, he that's looks... his main thing, is that he thinks he's cool. And he goes, tally-ho. So, um, mainly because of the wipe, wipe the rain off his head was an improv. <laughs> what they, a good uh, one. The shooting got caught up in a big El Nino storm that year, and... Uh, at some point, it became clear to them that they couldn't pretend it was not raining, mm-hmm. so they just left that in when he did that. It can rain on the holodeck. Why not? Exactly. Uh, yeah, so anyway, because of the Herogen, I gave it as much as a five. What about you? Well, I'm not scoring the Herogen. Oh. So I only gave it a four. Okay. Uh, Janeway is willing to talk to this alien who has been tormenting her and reach a peaceful solution, and that's nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seven would rather die than sing for these aliens. I don't quite get that. Neither did Tuvok. <laughs> like, uh, seems like she's got maybe, uh, too much dignity. No, but let's be real. When she wasn't, she didn't have that device on anymore. She doesn't know any songs. Yeah, she should say, I don't know the, I don't know what songs. I don't know any songs. I the literally know songs. zero songs. I don't know I a know song. Frere Jaca and happy birthday to you because I was kidnapped <laughs> when I was nine. I mean, I, I don't like really like made it a priority to learn songs since I got back. I'm not confident I'll nail all the lyrics, but I'll muddle through. I can do happy birthday probably. <clears throat> um, Boy, basically everyone else on the Voyager crew is along for the ride this for this week, huh? Yeah. I mean, Neelix gets to shout at Klingons. Like you said, TP can explain who these Nazis are to people, etc. But, like, this, this is Janeway and Seven and the main alien, so. Yeah. Just a four. Nothing terrible, but just, this is... It's nothing. No one's learned it. No one's going to learn anything from this week. It's two weeks of nothing. I, uh, it's yeah. a really baffling decision. Um, all right, fine. Quick hitters, then. Uh, well, Ben says that the M1 behaves correctly in this, so that's that's nice. Okay. Uh, good prop work there. 
Uh, my quick hitters, uh, fucking, of course, Seven can enhance a pineapple grenade with Borg technology. <laughs> it's, it's everything. That's their whole can, I'm sorry. Do the nanoprobes make the explosion, the explosive bigger, more explosive? Apparently, what, what it did was it made it only hurt holograms. Isn't that the well, one she f- tweaked? It fucking doesn't matter because Borg ter- technology turns out to just be an eyeglasses screwdriver. <laughs> Like, she just pulls out an eyeglasses screwdriver later. when if She brings it back in a fancy case, but it doesn't seem like it's fancy. Yeah, I don't, yeah. No one knows what she's doing. The writers don't know, so no one knows. This, um, this Herogen is literally talked into treason by a frothing Nazi, huh? Mm-hmm. You know Burns take on it ain't positive. <laughs> I didn't bother to read on it because I, I knew he wouldn't be happy. Uh, I, after... After Tehran chases Janeway and then his rifle disappears, where did she get her rifle from? She, he was, is so dumb. He runs back down the hall. Yeah. And his own rifle that he dropped is half in the area. And she just pulls the rest of it in, and like she, when she pulled that guy in, he reappeared. Yeah, she just picks it up and starts chasing him with the rifle he dropped. It's That's really one of this dude's a beta. Yeah. No, and like this is, I think, where Ben and Seven last week or whatever the week before talked about how they're not actually very good hunters yeah because that guy really he really bitched out on that thing all right theory corner you ready for it okay i came up with this during your description of the episode okay all of these exposed panels in the holodeck yeah do you know the ones that you just asked about mm-hmm. are an additional safeguard so that you're not locked out from reaching uh you know, technology, if you have, like, a Moriarty-style event, or, uh... It's because they were never able to figure out how the computer actually did the Moriarty, so they haven't been able yeah. to fix it. Yeah, they're like, well, we can't make it so that you have to call for the arch. So from now on, every scenario, there's just areas where you can reach the actual holodeck technology. And, uh, just everybody ignore that. Don't worry about <laughs> That's it. Right. I know it's gonna take you out of your game we'll, a little bit. We'll put it behind books and tumbleweeds and stuff. You <laughs> yeah. can find it if you need it, but, like, it'll be there. The characters on the holodeck won't notice, so don't worry about that. But, yeah, since yeah. we don't know how to make the computer stop doing the Moriarty thing, <laughs> Listen, this is the best we can We cannot do. make this safe, so, <laughs> you know, we gotta... There's, a, like, a lot of kill switches. I'm surprised it wasn't just a big red button that if you hit it, the whole holodeck shut down. <laughs> yeah. Well, Moriarty would learn how to use that, too, and when you push anyway, it, the ship would shake or something. That's theory corner for me for for uh, for this one. Might but that, as well be. The only the only way that makes sense is if that's a new safeguard based on all of the wacky adventures of the Enterprise. Yeah. I gave best actor to Car maybe, and worst actor to the drunk Klingons. Yeah, they weren't very good. <laughs> and again, no point at all except to give them that last rescue, yeah, the last yeah. reversal. Um, yeah, I didn't, I don't have any quick hitters. I don't care. <laughs> Just, I don't, I don't care. They wasted two more weeks of my life. <laughs> so, fuck them. Well, third place last week was Enterprise. Okay. This week we watched Observer Effect. Ben's pick of the week. Yeah. Yeah. song rocks now
uh reed and mayweather are playing chess and if that gets your spidey senses tingling don't worry it is immediately apparent that they are aliens from the planet this ship is orbiting inhabiting their bodies yeah the that part is not if there's any mystery in this episode whether or not they're aliens is not a part of it no um they talk about how everyone who has visited this planet loses at least one crew member and the Reed alien says he's seen whole crews die here. Mm. After the credits, Trip and Hoshi are coming back up from the planet in a shuttle after an unsuccessful scavenger hunt. I don't know how these two got chosen to go dig through the Klingon garbage, but that's what it was. She's the only one who can read Klingon, and he's the chief engineer who... It's a Starfleet tradition, I guess, starting here, that you always send the chief engineer somewhere. Yeah, there aren't any other engineers on these ships. Right. <laughs> that way, if you lose uh, someone, and- you only lose the most important one. You know, the one that you have to grow organs for if they don't make it. <laughs> don't, don't you bring up Sim. I'm just we saying, we, we were told in that episode, and this is all we were told, that trip was vital to the mission. To the mission, yeah. yeah. Did he end up being vital to the mission? Like, I haven't been able to... I, I can't tell. But that's what okay. we're told. Well... Trip suddenly starts coughing and collapses, and um, when Phlox meets them at Decon, it's already spread to Hoshi. So, these two guys are stuck in quarantine. Mm. Uh, Reed and Mayweather talk about how uh, the Klingons who were just here didn't even let the sick landing party board. Uh, but Re- and, but and Malcolm thinks... Jeez, not Malcolm. Uh, Travis thinks... Damn. Good alien nice, two, nice boy Mayweather, the new alien, yeah. the rookie alien. Sure, thinks that maybe this is a sign that humans are more enlightened in some way. But uh, Alien One says that because of the quarantine system on Enterprise, Archer really hasn't had to make a t- difficult choice yet. Right. Um, but we do learn that both the Klingons and the Cardassians who visited here eventually ended up killing their infected crew. Right. Um. At this point, um, Mayweather, who is very curious, breaks protocol and goes down and starts asking a bunch of obvious questions that Trip and Hoshi are too tired and sick to answer, but they just suspect he's an asshole and not an alien, <laughs> yeah. and so they just shut the window on him. Yeah. Um, Reed takes a similar attack when he goes down to sick bay tries to badger flocks about the course of treatment he's going to take but he gets sent away uh back in the um back in quarantine hoshi tells trip a story that she just makes up on the spot i assume about how she got kicked out of her starfleet training <laughs> when she did t- too cool aikido on her company commander after he shut down her floating poker game yeah, her super cool card game too so there was double yeah. cool None of that seems like it was real. No. Uh, Phlox has worked out, and he tells Archer that they've got something that looks like a virus, but it is silicon-based life. Um, even though this is a Class M planet, he thinks that maybe it landed on a meteorite or something. Anyway, it's pretty bad news, and at this rate, Trip and Hoshi have less than five hours to live. Mm, stakes. Yeah, Archer goes down and visits them. Hoshi's asleep, and Archer doesn't outright tell Trip that he's going to die, but uh, Trip gets the picture. It's pretty bad, especially when he hears that it's silicon-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two aliens argue about their next move. 
the rookie alien wants to switch to inhabiting flocks and T-Pole so that they can get a close-up look at Archer's decision-making. Reed thinks that's too much interference, but I guess I guess Travis wins that one. Yeah. He wins a few arguments suddenly, in this one. Uh, suddenly, flocks and T-Pole are leering through this quarantine window at them and uh, breaking up this mutual admiration society they've got going on. Hoshi and Trip again aren't real suspicious they kind of don't seem to know what to make of it they're like are they here because we're dying or are they here because we're gonna live right uh now these now the aliens in these two bodies argue about whether the these humans are intelligent enough or civilized enough or something to warrant first contact apparently none of the aliens they've ever encountered have passed this test Hmm. it's a good test. they discuss whether it's a good test yeah yeah whether the test is everything it's cracked up to be, whether it's testing the right things. Trip and Hoshi uh, continue to get worse. Archer's found the Klingon shuttlecraft debris in orbit, so he knows that they probably don't have a cure he can ask them for. Uh, at this point, Hoshi goes into a fugue state and starts cracking all the ship's security and wanders around D-Deck. That doesn't end up being anything, though. No, I thought maybe there, she was going to... Yeah, she just gets she trip just tracks her down. It's like an empty, eerie action scene. She's trying to crack open an airlock when Trip brings her back to uh to Sick Bay. Flox has uh Trip sedate her and then himself, so they're pretty much out of the show now. Yeah. Um Mayweather wants to end this experiment. He doesn't like what's going on. Uh but he can't talk openly with Reed on the bridge, so Stupidly, they take over uh, Trip and Hoshi's bodies mm-hmm. and start talking about it. And Flock sees them on the sickbay monitor and hears them discussing how they used to be physical beings until they ascended. <laughs> yeah, these guys aren't aren't the brightest. So anyway, uh, they take uh, Archer and Teepole over again and go to Flocks. They tell him, look, we're not responsible for this illness. We're just here to observe. We're going to wipe out everybody's memory. And he's mad at him, but they wipe his memory out, too. Yeah. Um, the rookie alien is just getting increasingly frustrated. He thinks that the their standards are too high. He can't believe they've never made first contact, etc. Archer uh, risks expanding the quarantine to a larger area of the ship in order to move the two sick crewmen into sick bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flox has a radiation treatment he wants to try that has to be done there. But Hoshi basically codes on the bio bed and Archer breaks quarantine himself so that he can operate as Flox's hands to try and re- revive her. Yeah, he, does, that a re- doesn't he work. does a real Archer and risks his life. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't work. Um, the treatment on Trip doesn't work. So now Archer's just going to die too, but apparently this intervention, this self-sacrifice move, is something that these aliens have never seen before. Yeah, I know they say that in uh, however many aliens or however many years, 800 years or whatever. So, you know, they're having this discussion as Archer is turning command of the ship over to T-Pole, telling her not to let Admiral Gardner stick someone else in in charge of her on enterprise or whatever and then trip dies and then he uh wakes up by one of the aliens and this guy it tells archer that he is an organian yeah and you we know them. these dudes from errand of mercy yeah 
And he says, look, we got rules. Like, we don't interfere with the development of other species. We only observe. Hoshi wakes up and says, well, you're breaking all those rules. Archer gives him a big lecture mm-hmm. about how for all of their advanced behavior and powers, they've lost compassion and they've lost empathy. And boy, they paid a big price. That's right. And if they want to really know what humans are all about, they should try showing a little compassion. That's right. Yeah, you guys got a lot <laughs> of growing up to works. do. He tells them they've got a lot of growing up to do. Yeah. Uh, this works because the next the next thing we see is he's called up to the bridge to tell uh, T-Pole and Phlox. He didn't know what happened. He doesn't know what happened, but uh, they're alive now. Yeah, these Organeon uh, guys, they got the mind, they got the memory of wi- wipers. Yeah, they wipe, they wiped his memory. So he don't know what's up. No one knows what's up. Flocks can't explain what happened. Yeah. Archer says, well, I don't know. Starfleet Medical will be able to figure it all out. We'll just uh, leave a warning beacon here. That's nice. Are they the first one to and, do that, too? And that warning beacon means that the Organians aren't going to be able to use this scenario anymore. Uh, but Mayweather says it doesn't matter because he's going to propose an official first contact mission with humanity. And Reed says that that'll give them barely 5,000 years to prepare. End of episode. Matthew, what's this one about? All right. Let's get into it. First, Ben gave it a seven. He said, if you have the means to help the less fortunate, you have a moral obligation to. And he said, finally, a, a Star Trek take. Um... I came down on... Okay, this is another one in the long line of sort of anti-science takes. Like, I got dispassionate scientific observation is immoral. I think the argument is that by allowing living beings to suffer and die when you can help, or in some cases introducing the threat in the first place to observe their reaction, you might as well be causing the harm. And it better be, this better be the take, because if not, it's just a question, like, is it okay? Which would be worse. Uh, I disagree with this take, but it's not handled as badly as some of these types of episodes are that we've seen previously, where they're just like, everything. it's just a big anti-science screed or whatever. So. Yeah, these guys aren't, uh, these guys are just observing. They didn't send the meteorite there with mm-hmm. the virus none of this stuff that would have happened would have happened any differently if they yeah. weren't there it's not so. a full nagilum or whatever right exactly um so i gave it a three uh i am i'm more on ben's side here i i thought the take was that there's no moral virtue in setting compassion aside in the pursuit of knowledge okay i think it's kind of a specialized take like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this one personally. Uh, I ain't running too many tests that would need to go to an ethics review board. Right. Um, but I do think it's kind of a, it's an okay Star Trek take. Okay. Um, and uh, like, we see this kind of thing a lot. Like you said, it's a Nagilum or Q putting humanity on trial mm-hmm. or... Oh, any any of number of the beings. fifty TOS episodes about an advanced being coming to do what, <laughs> do something with humanity as his plaything or whatever. Yeah, at some point in here, I wrote that we see a lot of these guys in TOS. Uh, but actually, TNG might even have more. But we'll, <laughs> but yeah. I, anyway, I think the take is fine. I gave it a six. Okay. Uh, what about execution? Uh, execution. So uh, Ben's a six on this one too. This was his pick of the week, so mm-hmm. no surprise. Um, 
Boy, he's so stream of consciousness. <laughs> well, he starts with, I guess Mayweather and Reed are getting some reps. Don't know why they both suck. Um, but I guess the yeah, I guess his takeaway is that he thought this one was pretty good. It got back to the roots of Star Trek, basically. Yeah, it's a little preachy, but it's got faith in humanity and so on and so on. Uh, there are a couple of things this one does right. There's no violence. Uh, yeah. Archer and Flocks don't just outwit these dum dums. They have to convince them. Yes, even though they are proved to be dum-dums, by the way, they they just get caught on camera talking. They have their memory wiper to get rid of that problem. Right. Um, These, there are, there's there's two different points of view. Like, there's someone on their side who can be convinced. It's kind of like another Degra. Yeah. Someone who questions what they're doing. Uh, And while the Organians here don't have a real strong connection to the Organians in Aaron of Mercy... Those guys definitely had the power to do this, and they were definitely taking some weird stance. Mm-hmm. So, uh, also, it would be weird if Enterprise didn't have at least one impossible energy being, huh? <laughs> there are so many in TOS and TNG. It'd be like, what happened in the next hundred years? Yeah, you were, a lot of species must have evolved, huh? You had to really move out into deeper space. For some reason, Earth is just not in a cool region for that, maybe. It's just in the fucking backwater zone or something, huh? Yeah. Uh, And I don't think they particularly fumbled it. Like, we've seen a lot of bad aliens, Mm -hmm. bad, powerful aliens. This wasn't too bad. The wrap-up at the end is very quick. Uh, It seems hard to believe that Archer and T-Pole and Phlox would just buy that ending. Yeah, that suddenly the virus is gone. Right. But I guess if you don't do that, then the episode suddenly becomes clues. And it's like, (laughs) oh, is this part two now? God, that's next week, too. That is next week, huh? Um... But the scene where Hoshi is so sick that she can suddenly break all of Enterprise's security lockouts is uh, is weak sauce. So uh, I gave it a five uh, on balance for execution. Okay. Um, so where you stand on my take probably has a lot to do with how you value sentient and non-sentient life. Like scientists believe it's justified to do animal experiments. And I think largely because of the difference they see between non-sentient animals and sentient humans. Right. Like, it, it, that in itself is a value that determines your level of treatment. Many people believe that animals have more intelligence than we give them credit for, or even just that it's hard to know for sure, and some don't believe that there should be a difference in how we treat life based on its intelligence. So, people have different reactions to this kind of episode, um, or any of the other ones we've already talked about in TOS or TNG or whatever. There's nothing wrong with coming down on any of these sides as long as you're prepared to be wrong about it. But to me, it always seems like a very anti-scientific take. Like, what's the point of this? What other thing can we apply it to, what they're doing, except for scientific research? Like you said, what, what, what does this have to do with me? Yeah, that's the real problem with the take for me. So, you know, people come up with the best possible means to study other forms of life and do scientific experiments and explore the unknown. You set up systems and protocols so that your work's most effective and you hope that ideas about intelligence and morality have been worked out ahead of time. Um, But it feels like this take, whenever this take comes up, it feels like it's against the very mission of Starfleet and Enterprise and, and all that. Otherwise, I didn't mind this episode. Um, is the being inhabiting Mayweather almost as naive as Mayweather? Yes. But it's hard to find a way to make the two aliens have these discussions if one of them isn't, like, sort of shockingly naive about the nature of their work. 
Yeah, you can't have two jaded guys. Otherwise, something would have to go, like, wildly wrong or different this run. Yeah. Uh, There are some good bottle episode moments, some stuff that makes you think about the nature of observation and research, and nobody hams it up really bad. Like, even Archer in those scenes in the sick bay. He's, I think, what's his name? Uh... Bacula is doing a better job than he normally dubs, uh, does. But in terms of pure execution, ignoring any moral questions, this is sort of as well as Enterprise is capable of executing. So I gave it a six. Yeah, I don't disagree. What about um, world building? All right. These non-physical aliens, the Organians, who observe humanity and other sentient species, including Klingons and Cardassians, I believe that's their first mention on Enterprise. Um, Cardassians probably it's it's a throwaway right it's one of these things where it's for us and not for the crew of Enterprise right yeah um, at least we didn't have to run into them like we did the Ferengi and I guess the Klingons and the Cardassians must be operating somewhat in the same territory because the Klingons just invaded Cardassian Deep Space Nine so like yeah they must they must clearly they're not the other end of the galaxy right uh, they're trying to determine whether they're prepared for first contact. One of them's been doing this job for 800 years. These guys spent a lot of time in Travis and um, May- Mayweather and Reed, but, like, they got a memory wiper. Do those two just keep waking up going, oh, God, I lost another six hours? <laughs> and they're just afraid to say anything? Or do they have, like, weird false memories? It's a real good question, because they are in them. Um, well, look, as far as we see, they're in them for about half an hour. Yeah. And there are lots of days where if you said, what were you doing at 2.10 yesterday? I'd go, oh, shit, I don't know. Working? Yeah, probably working. Uh, but if they're in them for hours and hours and hours, and then suddenly they switch to another body, it'd be like, oh, oh it happened again. Ah, oh, fuck, I'm just on the bridge. Yeah. This is what happens every time you drive home and suddenly you're home and you're like, huh. <laughs> is that what happens to you? You don't get that? It's called highway hypnosis. Oh, um, I've never had a really bad commute. Maybe that's why. Ah, yeah. Um, anyway, these guys pop up in TOS too, and in a way it makes sense the way they're, the way they're used in each show. So I uh, give them a continuity bonus. Um, Hoshi and Trip. Dig through some Klingon garbage looking for new tech? Is that what they were doing? They were scavenging for technology? I don't know. I don't know if they knew it was Klingon stuff when they went down there, or... Is that, like, part of Starfleet's mission, is to, like, (laughs) scavenge around in junkyards and shit? I guess so. And it's not like a special team. It's not like they have a team to go out there and do that. It's just whatever ship's passing by, I guess. Um... According to these aliens, the Klingons and Cardis both eventually killed their infected crew rather than risk greater infection. Uh, They talk about STC regulations about gambling. STC in this case is what? You know, I don't know if it's Starfleet Training Command or... uh... Yeah, they don't really explain it. Yeah. Uh, Silicon-based viruses, which are known to be extra deadly to carbon-based life forms. Is Starfleet the first to drop a warning buoy? Or have others been removed by these aliens? This is a good question, because they say, now we won't be able to test here. But, like, why didn't the Klingons drop a fucking warning buoy? Like, even just so other Klingons and other Cardassians don't show up. Like, it seems like you'd 
drop a buoy, probably. But I guess this is the first time? Are humans the first people who care generally about (laughs) warning? And not just, we'll file a report so no one else comes here. Uh, The Organians say they will prepare for first contact with humans and that they think it will take 5,000 years to be ready. Does that mean they think it'll be 5,000 years before humans are ready or 5,000 years before they're ready? Don't know. Either way, it turns out to only be about 100 years. Yes. But it doesn't seem like their plan was really to tell humans about themselves in that one either. No, isn't that the one where Kirk and Kor? Yeah, they're fighting and these villagers are like, please leave. We don't... (laughs) We do not need your help, Captain Kirk. And he's like, but the Klingons are... He's like, well, you are not going to like the Klingons. They're brutal. <laughs> and he's like, no, you don't get it. We don't need your help. Yeah, we don't care. We don't need it. Yeah. And Kirk can't All right, you know what? It. War is illegal between the two of you now. Yeah, that's right. And you have to abide by this treaty forever, except they don't. Um, uh, all things considered, I gave it a five. Um, Ben, I don't know if you already read his. It's yours was quite long, actually. He says uh, people are still playing chess, silicon-based coronavirus, uh, cross-species virus, looking for first contact, etc. The tiny defibrillator was cool. Okay. Uh, I have early Klingon and Cardassians operating in the same space as early Earth. Silicon-based viruses are known or predicted to be. It's not clear whether they've actually had any contact before, but they're at least theorized to be incompatible with carbon-based life. Mm-hmm. Archer thinks there's a chance that somehow uh, T'Pol could end up in command of Enterprise after he's gone. That seems highly unlikely to me. Yeah. Oh, and the Organians, their non-interference, racist first contact policies, also suggesting that humans could be on the evolutionary cusp of ascending to godhood. It's possible. If they just, maybe this pain that they feel will encourage them to discard their physical bodies as we once did, they say. Uh-huh. So, again, that is one of the messages that runs through Star Trek, though very few people come out and say it explicitly. Yeah. Because that humans are right about to uh, become. <laughs> just like. Uh, just a four for me. Just like Ironheart. <laughs> just like Ironheart. The traditional, just like Ironheart. Yes. Uh, Characterization wise, um, it ends with a little bit of a reset. And so, you know, some big speeches never happened to these characters thanks to the memory wipe. Mm -hmm. Also, I don't think that Reed and Mayweather are ever themselves this week. I don't think we see them not. Not on uh, camera. We never see them. Not taken over at any point. Yep. So I guess we've got Trip sort of gets to be there for Hoshi while she's going through it. Like. Clearly, he takes that. He doesn't really do too much complaining or talking about his dead sister or whatever's going through his mind. Have I told she you about my sister, about Florida? Her, <laughs> her missing students and so on. Right. Um, I guess uh, T'Pol ends up letting some measure of affection for Trip show while he's dying. Uh, the cornerstone of the episode, the core of the episode, is Archer's decision-making about his infected crew. And he gets to give a Kirk or Picard speech where he convinces powerful aliens that human virtues are, in fact, virtuous. Yep. Phlox, of course, is a hypocrite, but <laughs> honestly, the whole show works better if we forget about that one genocide. It's, so. it's tough, though. Well, because you don't... If only. You also have to forget about Sim. 
I mean, that's true. Sim's pretty rough, huh? Sim and the genocide together, I think, is enough to have a pattern for that guy. That's weirdly, I want all of the doctors in Star Trek to be Doctor Crusher because the rest of them do some questionable shit. Bashir got up to some shit last week. Yeah, he did a straight fucking mind wipe on Kirk. If you think about it for even a second, it's pretty awful. Yeah. Uh, Hoshi's a master code breaker. That sucks, but it was actually already kind of established from the end of the Zindi arc. Yep. So, all told, it's a five for me. Okay. Uh, ben gave it a six. Again, Hoshi was running cards. Is this supposed to tell us why she's still an ensign? This whole story about getting kicked out or whatever. Um, I agree it's a six. Uh, let's see. Hoshi's only flown shuttles and simulations. Hoshi got kicked out of SDC over a poker fight. She has a black belt on Aikido. Trip is pretty cool about getting sick and probably dying. Like, he handles it pretty well. It sort of feels like, um... He, this is the one time he didn't learn from Archer. Because Archer's <laughs> usually pretty emotional about shit. It is true. It also felt like this was the first time he and Hoshi had ever really talked. And I think that makes sense. We were mostly shown that they have very surface-level interactions when they're together. They don't work in the same area. They don't go on the same types of missions. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes sense. Um, He's dating someone else. Right. Yes. They're not dating. Let's, does she, didn't she used to have a thing for Mayweather? She was at least friends with Mayweather. She was real busted up that time. Uh, he died, but it turned out he was replaced. <laughs> It's a lot. If you think about it, turned out he was kidnapped and a dead, a fake dead body was sent back at his place. All the time, someone on Enterprise has either died and come back to life, or <laughs> when we thought they died, or maybe a double of theirs died. Just like there's so many different ways these characters have died. Well, you know, they were like everybody likes that episode, the next phase. That was pretty good. <laughs> yep, people seem to like that. Uh, what if we faked out our characters' deaths like a lot? <laughs> Uh, let's see. Archer risks infection to help save Hoshi and Trip. That's nothing new for his character, but I guess these aliens haven't seen it one time in at least 800 years. I mean, for sure doesn't feel like something Gul'dukat would do. Sure. Uh, and Klingon medicine is a complete unknown. Yeah, we don't see a lot of doctors. Yeah. Or any? I'm trying to think. We've seen a couple of Klingon scientists, but I don't think I've ever seen a Klingon, a Klingon doctor on the well, show. Well, we know that you're not supposed to catch any bugs. <laughs> That's true. If you're condemning food supplies and things. Yes. If you are Thyphrater Ursva. Um, let's see. Archer isn't nearly as surprised as he should be when these dudes show up in sickbay. He is right <laughs> into his speech barely fucking bats an eye when those bodies get up and they're like okay so here's the deal we're aliens he's just he gets right into it um t-pole is worried about saying goodbye to trip uh would be great if he said is this more temporal cold war shit <laughs> i told you i was out on that and then they said what <laughs> that's right wonder if how much the organians know about that shit is there something else we have to intervene in um Anyway, yeah, T-Pole was worried about saying goodbye to Trip, but she did not seem worried about the same thing with Hoshi. <laughs> well, Hoshi was already dead by the time she found out. 
They used to be she enemies. Should. She really should because she used to be kind of Hoshi's mentor. Yeah, but in a way that we had to see every week that they did not Her get hate along. mentor? Yes. Yeah. It was weird, the storylines that Enterprise briefly flirted with and then dropped. Um... Yeah, so everyone was mostly okay, so I gave it a six. Uh, you got some quick hitters? I don't. I don't, I don't have any. <laughs> I feel like that section becomes more and more bare every week for me. Hey, I don't know if you knew this. This is the 86th week we've done this. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm losing my focus a little bit. Uh, ben thought it was funny that Trip injected himself with that fast-acting sedative while he was standing up. Seems like you should have sat down or lied down first. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have a few. Um, first of all, I said it right at the beginning, good, great choice. Give these two boys some acting to do. Can't wait. Uh, they only live about 100 years is the explanation for why people can't play 10 to the 123rd different chess games, not there are only 10 to the 80th atoms in the whole universe. <laughs> uh, Hoshi has a black belt in Aikido, but we've never seen her Steven Seagal anyone in four years of action schlock. That's true. Like, uh, they should have decided that earlier. She could have been making people look real silly. Yep. No, this n- whole time. now that we got 10 weeks left or whatever. Now yeah. we know. Hey, I've had catered food. These croissant sandwiches that... Uh, the two aliens are about to tuck into you know they're hella dry and flavorless <laughs> yep oh they've just meat the meats and cheeses don't taste like anything but they all taste like the same nothing yeah like they've all swapped flavors for too long that shit was made like eight hours ago or whatever right yeah um i feel like a silicon-based virus would have just as hard a time getting what it needs from carbon-based life form that's, as a carbon-based life form would have in fighting it off. Like, the whole chemistry has to be different. I I meant to say that earlier when you were when you were doing the plot analysis. They they instantly go, oh, well, we'd be fucked then, because we can't handle a silicon-based yeah. virus. But, like, why would that virus like, why be would the virus? To... How would it even get the energy it needed to reproduce? Yeah. Why, would it, why would it be able to affect our systems at all? Why wouldn't it just be a big nothing? Yeah, exactly. Hey, a uh, quarantine room? where you might quarantine people, hmm. should have a physical latch on the outside for redundancy. <laughs> yeah. That's just bad design that you can hack your way out. You'd think there might be a chance that the people inside are going to want to get out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you should just, like, a padlock or something on there, right? Like, it don't have to be locked all the time, but you could lock it in some scenarios. <laughs> See, it's uh, a basic safeguard that this ship is lacking. Yeah, someone should have to let you out of quarantine, is my feeling about quarantine. That's all. <laughs> Not just uh, uh, fucking punch in the right password and you're good to go. Yeah, and then what are the Klingons, man? Are they ruthless, shoot on sight if you've got a cough, or are they blustery drunks staggering around headbutting each other? Mm. Because most of the time when we see Klingons, they don't seem like the former. That's true. These guys don't seem like they would have a quarantine policy, or like if a dude started coughing in the shuttle on the way up, like they, they wouldn't, wouldn't even laugh notice. about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, they just have a big laugh. Yeah, it's kind of shocking that wasn't one of the times when they all died. I'll run down there and slap him on the back. And especially because we are going to be explicitly told in TNG that Worf doesn't understand the Klingons. He thinks all this serious shit about them. But, like, they just want to get drunk. Yeah. Oh, that is true. During the Klingon Civil War, he gets a... 
he learns a big lesson. Yeah. Kern helps him figure out what it is to be Klingon. Uh, I gave best actor to Flocks, I guess, and worst actor to Mayweather. Sorry, bud. Sorry, bud. <laughs> it's weird. You'd, hey, bud. Sorry, bud. You know, we've talked about it before. It is just like coming off the bench cold because he just never really gets is. anything. He just doesn't get any practice. He doesn't get any lines. And then suddenly he's got We don't gonna... know anything about this character. Yeah. Like, we guess we've met his whole family. <laughs> he's a boomer. I know. And we've seen where he grew up and we still know less than nothing about him. <laughs> And so he finally I feel gets like some, I know more about Reed. He finally gets some lines and you just go, oh, he's not doing a very good job, is he? And then it's right back to the bench. Yep. It's <laughs> never going to get better. He needs there needs to be a triple A of Star Trek that he can go get some reps at. He does need to go get some reps. <laughs> he needs he needed to go down to Star Trek online and get some reps and then come back out. <laughs> is there a Star Trek fucking community theater that he can go to <laughs> so they can get called up to the bigs when he's ready? He's there a, should be. He should just go down there, give a couple of speeches from the drumhead, and come back up and just be like, "All right." Because right now he seems like a real fucking quadruple A player. Like he's just not good enough for the bigs, but he keeps getting <laughs> called back up. Oh wow! Second place last week was Deep Space Nine. Yeah. This week we watched Bar Association. Mm. Worf and Dax do a bit of a debrief after a five-day mission in the Gamma Quadrant. <laughs> just a just a Gamma Quadrant vacation. No big deal. They were just fucking leaf-letting uh, <laughs> Dominion planets. Yeah. Just your just general I had provocation. To, like, I was five seconds into the episode, and I just had to stop it for a while and go, "What are What are they doing? Why are they doing this?" <laughs> At least this time they took the Defiant. At least they didn't go to the uh, Delta Quadrant in a runabout like they normally do. That's a real taunt when they bring the runabout, but it's not like we haven't seen the Defiant get either fucked up or captured by the Dominion a couple of times already. Yeah, but you know in the future we'll see them hella machine gunning Dominion (laughs) Geminar fighters and shit. Starfleet must have learned something. Uh, Quark is put out by what the Bajoran holidays are doing to his business. Um, It's like Lent, so ain't no one coming in and drinking the synthale or playing the daba or whatever uh and rom is mighty sick uh rom collapses and quark doesn't give a crap says he's gonna dock his pay we get to the credits rom tells bashir he uh, can't take time off to go to the infirmary because of his contract with quark um and i guess he can't go in the evenings because he's been umoxing himself too much too many self umox. Well, it just seems like we know he must have, a, like, some time off. He doesn't work 24 hours a day. At some point, even if you're not going to get good sleep, you got to go get your, your, your terrible earache looked at. Your three-week earache. Uh-huh. Um, but what I'm saying is, definitely Quark is an abusive employer, but uh, yeah, it's not well, all I'm going to go to the doctor. That's all I'm going to say Come about Come on, Rob, that. grow up. Uh, Bashir meddles a bit, and he says they should start a damn union. And so back at the bar, Quark announces he has good news, pay cuts for all. And Rom argues with Quark about it, and Quark is mean, as always. Uh, In the other plot, Worf and Dax are coming back from another holodeck flirt session when Worf catches a thief who's just ransacked his quarters. 
Uh, he yells at Odo about it, but Odo is like prepared with a fucking pad, <laughs> with a pad in his hand. He's been fucking waiting for this day. I think Worf gave him some shit like 10 episodes ago, like right after he showed up, and now he's just been sitting there with that fucking pad. And he reminds Worf of the various times the Enterprise was victimized by petty criminals and bandits and all kinds of shit. Uh, Worf is left scratching his head like a big dumb animal. Um, Rom calls the bar employees together and announces he's he's going to form a fucking union. And he gives a rousing speech and overcomes some initial resistance from the Ferengi employees. Because there's some Bajorans and uh, nondescript underboob aliens in there as well. <laughs> um, they don't even get lines. They're just there for the boobs. Just for the underboob. We're all just here for the underboob. That's uh, uh, where you say, hold on, and then you take a note I normally. Don't, I don't have to, because I'm writing it down already. <laughs> I had my pen in my I was as ready as Odo. Um, he goes to uh, get some advice from Bashir, who begs out of this whole thing. He claims he wasn't serious. But O'Brien is there, too, and he pushes Rom even further, <laughs> saying he'll have no choice but to strike, and what a hero he'd be. Like O'Brien's dumpy Union ancestors. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess at some point... Nah, we'll talk about this. But I guess at some point O'Brien's family moved back to Ireland from Pennsylvania. <laughs> I guess they must have. Uh, let's see. Worf and O'Brien talk about how crazy... Maybe after the Irish reunification of 2026. What year is it really? Is it 2021 or 2023? It's Listen, it's right around it's the corner. It's coming soon. We already know Dax is alive. It's true. <laughs> um, Worf and O'Brien talk about how crazy shit is on Deep Space Nine. O'Brien says he likes it. We've never seen him enjoy it here, but he says that. Uh, because it keeps him busy. But Worf still misses the order of the flagship. Uh, Rom confronts Quark with his union demands. Quark laughs in his face, and Rom declares the union to be on strike. And everybody walks out and starts picketing outside. When Worf enters Quark's bar, O'Brien goes to, I guess, lecture him about labor and management. And Next thing you know, O'Brien, Worf, and Bashir are in jail. <laughs> they got into a big brawl off screen. And Cisco comes in and lectures them and says they can stay in jail overnight because they're idiots. Then he goes and convinces Quark to play ball. He threatens to start charging him for rent and repairs and power unless he negotiates with uh, his brother then he leaves the show and he's out that was it for cisco <laughs> it's a wrap on he's, cisco uh, not uh he was not real present in last week's episode no. takes a takes himself an early exit after two consecutive scenes this week i wrote down in here because at one point odo odo tells quark that he's been told by cisco to let uh -huh. the strike continue and i wrote down uh -huh. at that point i guess cisco's not in it this week and then he did show up for these two quick scenes. Um, Quark goes to bribe Rom to end the strike, but now our boy is all caught up in, like, revolutionary spirit, and he refuses. Um, that's when Quark gets a visit from Liquidator Brunt, who's here to end Quark's labor dispute. He's a, a strike breaker. A Pinkerton. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. I made a prediction about what something Ben would say. Let me read his yeah, notes. Scan his notes while I continue. Uh, looks like he didn't. Rom and the gang... I predicted that Ben would call them uh, Pinkertons <laughs> for Ferengi Pinkertons. 
Rom and the gang are celebrating Quark's desperation, because again, he tried to bribe his brother. When Brunt and some Nausicans bust in, he threatens to fuck them up big time. And the Ferengi in the room lose their resolve, but Rom whips them right back up into a frenzy. Meanwhile, in this other plot, I should have A-plot, B-plotted this. Worf tells O'Brien he's going to move to the Defiant. That'll solve all his problems about how much he hates DS9, he says. Uh, Lita. She's been here this whole episode. Lita gives Rom a kiss for his bravery, and Quark finds him and tells him Brunt is super serious, and he's going to hurt him if the strike doesn't end, but Rom gets mad and does his best Fredo impression. I'm smart! <laughs> not dumb like everybody says! And remains intransigent. Um, back at the bar, Brunt and his goons beat the shit out of Quark, as I guess that that's their strategy to weaken Rom's resistance. Quark tells Rom he can't press charges against the FCA, so Brunt won't be held for very long. Quark agrees to give in to the demands and provide fake ledgers for the FCA if the Union's disbanded right away. Uh, Dax brings Worf a housewarming gift, and they make sex eyes at each other. The bar's back open, the Bajoran holidays are over, and business is booming, but Rom tells Quark he's uh, signed on to be a technician for the Bajorans. Uh, he's learned that he needs to be on his own now. He looks happy, so I'm happy. We're out. Yeah. What was this one about? Please don't try uh, to ben... unite the two plots, because that's they, <laughs> that should not happen. Yeah, Ben says the oppressed should stick up for themselves. Everybody says, but, well, not everyone can, and he gives it a three. Okay. Uh, for me, the take in this one is, uh, sometimes the cause makes the man. Okay. So I know there's a lot of union talk in this episode, Mm -hmm. but ultimately that whole plot ends on a kind of, it's complicated note. Yeah. I think it's best taken as an example of being surprised to find out what you have in you or what you can achieve. Okay. Um, I don't know how universal it is or how prescriptive, but it doesn't suck eggs. I I gave it as much as a five. Okay. Um, I saw this episode as sort of a continuation of... Do you remember when Quark went home to his Moogie? I do. And how we that episode yes, sir. won the week because we actually thought it was interesting they were doing a thing. Yeah. So I saw this as sort of a continuation of Quark's family struggles. I said that cultural differences exist even among family. I mean, it's, yeah, I suppose it's definitely happening here. This is a valuable take because it opens the door to understanding family dynamics in a less insular way. Like maybe fights between family or personal, or maybe they're because of deeply rooted cultural influences and environmental pressures. Um, you don't need sci-fi for this, but having this be about Ferengi is still fine. Um, I gave it a six. All right. And just to flip over into execution, uh, Quark and Rom have never gotten along, and we usually can see why. Quark doesn't consider Rom a good Ferengi. It's an expansion of the long fight with his mother, who flouts Ferengi's societal rules and customs. Like, Rom is more like their mom, and Quark is more like their dad, and they see themselves that way, too. Uh, this final straw that leads Rom to go against all Ferengi customs, you know, leave the bar and Join the Bajorans is also suggested to be what the brothers might need to do to get over their own differences once and for all. But we'll see. 
like if the uh, the fights they have are really about Rom's fight with Ferengi society, maybe extricating himself from that is what needs to happen. Yeah, um, it could. It definitely, although it's sort of unmotivated. Like we know that Rom is very technical. We have seen the staff turn to Rom for help in technical matters before. It was just when the Hollow Suites were acting weird and everybody's brains were in a James Bond parody. But still, <laughs> yeah, all they had left was Odo and Eddington, and they needed some fucking help. Yeah, but you know. Rom knew where which spatulas were doing what, so <laughs> right. it was it was important. Um, but it does it, in the episode, it does feel like it's the right move for Rom for sure. Yeah, uh, it could be handled more sensitively. And if they really want us to invest in these interpersonal conflicts, they should probably stop positioning Quark as an evil monster. <laughs> like he covers so much emotional ground in this episode that it's far fetched. It is true that he does basically start with good news. I'm cutting everyone's pay by a third. <laughs> he like he's basically pure evil in the first few scenes of this episode, which is what he is often. And then by the end, we're supposed to, because I think of the good performance from Armin Shimmerman, you're supposed to really get that he he is looking out for his brother and he cares about his brother. But they write such horrible things for him to do and say. Um, but by next week he'll be the same piece of shit who has to make <laughs> wild moral and ethical leaps in just 40 minutes i appreciate what they're doing with rom i think the actor has a handle on that character and so it would make sense to add more of him it's just too bad there are already so many fucking characters on this show the show does have a lot of character because who's gonna have to be left out if he takes on a bigger role for instance cisco and kira are real bit players in yeah. this episode also we ain't seen Jake in uh, oh, it's been a, been a grip. Uh, like uh, several weeks. Also been kind of a while since we saw Garrick. Garrick's just been hiding out. Obviously, they've wrote Nog off the show for a while, basically, by sending him to the Academy. So I guess he could take on Nog's time. But, like, yeah, we don't see our Cardassian buddies, despite the new Ducat arc that just started. It's a yeah. lot to juggle. Uh, and the episode's a bit silly at times, but overall it was effective, so I gave it another six. Um, Ben is a four. Uh-huh. He is the opposite of you. He doesn't need ROM at all. Yes. He says the strikers are dumb. They don't do unions good. They give their own money away to keep people from going into quarks. Yeah. Uh... I didn't make any of those points, but I did also give it a four. There are a couple issues with this episode. So, number one, it's a real bummer that in an episode where Worf is irritated and out of sorts for 40 minutes, Mm -hmm. no one mentions Kern or suggests (laughs) that there could be anything happening to Worf or in Worf's life other than a kind of he was spoiled by being on the flagship attitude. It, it, was this like, were they written and aired in different sequences or is it literally just like, who gives a shit? It's, it's a who gives a shit. Plus uh, our episodes don't have, everything has to be serialized. They can run in any order in syndication, right? Yeah. Um, it's weird that Cisco's in this for one sequence. He's really been sitting them out lately. Mm hmm. They must be saving him for whenever they do more Dominion stuff, whenever that is. Yeah, that is true. Um, Well, I mean, next week there's going to be another another emissary, so I figure Cisco's got to be in that one. He can't sit that one out. I don't know. What if that's his uh, big fucking break? He can delegate to the other emissary and finally just not do anything. Cool, I'm on vacation. (laughs) See you guys Um, later. I'm going to the Gamma Quadrant. On TNG, 
if O'Brien got in a bar fight, that meant that a telepathic alien had <laughs> lost control of his feelings. <laughs> yep. But here, it's just because his American great-grandpappy was a union man. Uh-huh. So he gets in a fight with the third-ranking officer on the station. And again, another way that someone could bring up Worf's going, he's in his feelings right now. Yeah. And that's why that happened, but they don't say that. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, the decision to have Rom dissolve the union feels like it backs off on whatever message they were going for there. Mm-hmm. Is it like sometimes you can't unionize because powerful interests will hurt you? That's a real bummer of a uh, take. If <laughs> it's so, a very right? real so, take. It makes kind of a problem with this Star Trek episode. Um, but, you know, overall, it wasn't too bad. I gave it a four. I like Rom. Uh, okay, what about uh, world building? Yeah, Ben's a two. He says we're those Ferengi named Grimp and Drool. <laughs> Frool. It was Frool. Okay. Uh, the FCA doesn't answer to anyone on Ferenginar. Brunt has uh, this muscle behind him. Yeah. Um, we have the Bajoran time of cleansing, mm-hmm. FCA liquidators, the standard Ferengi labor contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, the Federation has been charging Quark rent and electricity and stuff for the last so 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 many years. They just haven't been collecting the money. Oh, they know how much is owed for sure. They know they know exactly. Cisco can call it up on his desk like it's fucking Odo's wharf pad. Yeah. <laughs> how much money Quark owes him? Yeah. That seems wild. Uh, I give it a three, though, for world building overall. I agree. I gave it a three as well. Um, I always like it when somebody on screen points out all the garbage that happens in universe. So that scene where Odo <laughs> reads off the Enterprise's security breaches was fun. <laughs> it was. I wish he would have kept going a couple more. Like, well, talk about Roga Danar. That guy did some good stuff. I think he accidentally hits the hardest one, which is when those three Ferengi took over the entire Enterprise. You just go. Yeah, that one is oh, rough. Yeah, that's pretty embarrassing. Um, let's see. Quark has a, a bunch of hollow waiters. Um, in this week's installment of What Is the Economy, Lita says she can't afford a pay cut. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. It's true. I guess she's paying rent, I, even if Quark isn't. Yes, yeah, Cisco is charging Lita. I don't. I don't know. Uh, we see some pack leads on the station. They go in. The, yeah, uh, by the way, uh, fucked if true. Cisco doesn't charge Quark rent, but he does charge Quark's employees rent? Yeah, he doesn't charge Quark the sex criminal terrorist, but he does charge his poor employees who are already being exploited. Come on, Cisco. Like, he knows what was in Lita's contract. Maybe Quark can't enforce it anymore, but... Yeah. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. What is the economy and what is happening in this episode? Um, Rules of Acquisition 263 and 211... Until Worf, nobody keeps full-time quarters on the Defiant. Back to the animal Nausicans of the 1990s. <laughs> Not the erudite ones of the 2000s. <laughs> These guys are just throwing darts at each other. Uh, I don't know, all the stuff about the FCA. Um, and we get some throwaway lines from Quark about the uh, crazy Ferengi anatomy. So, just a three for me as well. Um, what about characterization? Ben is... Sorry, I'm just thinking about those two Nausicaans throwing darts into each other's stomachs. <laughs> they didn't give him any lines in this one. But they... And then the Enterprise Nausicaan. <laughs> but they are straight the TNG Nausicaans. They really fucked up on that one. I, do, I still don't know what we're supposed to think happened in the 200 years between. If it had, if it had just been uh, 
tapestry we could have just said well q based that on picard's memory remember that um in my theory q does not actually have the powers that he claims he does right specifically regarding time so he just Uh, took it out of picard's memory and picard remembered them in a real racist way exactly and these fucking guys come to me and they're like (laughs) humans play dodge you talk and you talk but you have no gramba um but no, uh, once we've seen these guys, it's kind of like, hey, Enterprise. What did you do? You, you fucked it. You fucked it, bud. Like, what happened to Nausicaan society in 200 years? Like, shit went bad. Uh, ben was- They all started taking the Tide Pod challenge, and <laughs> it just got it got real bad. And then it became our primary sustenance, which turns out was not good for our diet from screwed, an evolution. Screwed up their DNA pretty good, too. Yeah. Ben was pretty high on this one for characterization. He gave it a six. He says, um... Now everyone who ever did anything cool historically is related to O'Brien. It's like Chekhov all over again. Um, he loves that O'Brien and Worf are old buddies again after their brawl. And they seem closer because of it. And he thinks the acting of Armin Shimmerman shows that he isn't heartless when it comes to his brother. I agree with that. Uh, when, he, when O'Brien says that he is the direct descendant of uh, Brian Baru, mm-hmm. uh, that is what the name O'Brien means. Yes. So that, that makes sense. It's just... Uh, you know, there's a lot of those guys. Yeah, and then if, when he comes back later and says that he's got the 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 Pennsylvania striker is also his his uh, ancestor or whatever. Yeah, it is starting to get into that territory of Chekhov saying everything was Russian or whatever. Well, it is a little bit for sure. Uh, and then he says, and there's no way Rom is smart enough to be a technician. And he says we're supposed to be happy for Rom, but I don't have any confidence that he'll be okay on his own. I mean, he does seem kind of dopey, but you know, he's still on the station. He'll be okay. He'll be okay as long as he's working for the Federation. That's right. Uh, I also gave it a six. Dax is still teasing and flirting with Worf. It doesn't, by the way, doesn't it feel like Worf doesn't know that that's what's happening yet? Seems like there have been a couple of times where he's got, he got called on it. When he's like, you're trying to distract me with your outfit. And then she's like, you fucking asshole. And now he's afraid. Now he doesn't know what's up. He like, he doesn't understand the kind of like her flirting's way too advanced for him. So yes, he's like, Oh, true. I got called on it once. I don't even know what's happening now. Um, he is in over his head with Dax. I mean, we saw him lose his virginity. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's true. It hasn't been that long. She, um, she seems to have some familiarity with Klingon opera. She brings him some in the end. Um, O'Brien and Bashir are still playing together on the holodeck, but their relationship is proof that you should not be friends with your medical practitioner. Yeah. Who wants to be teased about their medical conditions? Oh, yeah. If I was in there with the doctor and he was just making fun of whatever mole I had on my neck, I'd be like, I'm getting a new fucking doctor. I'm not here for jokes. Uh, O'Brien claims his ancestor was a union boss in Pennsylvania in 1902, and he somehow gets in a brawl with Worf off screen. Quark is a bad boss, which we've known from day one. He treats his brother like shit, but maybe by the end we're supposed to see some brotherly love. It's just tough to believe it after the shit he says in the first few acts. Also, we've seen Rom put him in an airlock. That's all I'm going to say about it. Oh, Rom tried to fucking blow him up, too, didn't he? Didn't Rom try all kinds of ways to murder Quark? I think he's tried at least two ways. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's sort of like a... before they'd figured out. This is before Rom ever said Moogie. 
and they figured out <laughs> who he was. <laughs> exactly right. I'm like, oh, yeah, you talked about how that's you, who Rom is. You wish you could get rid of the Flocks episode. It's like there are some Rom episodes that make it tough because he is a cold-blooded murderer in the beginning. Um, well, you know, it's just the story of him eventually discovering that the Ferengi way is not the right way for him. That's right, including the murder. Rom practices self-care when it comes to Umox. <laughs> yep. He gets swept up in the union stuff, and it teaches him he needs to get away from his brother and probably from Ferengi stuff in general. He's just not cut out for it. So he's now a Bajoran tech. Odo seems to have Enterprise's security lapses on hand and ready for recitation. <laughs> like, he's so ready for Worf to come in and complain about how he's not good at his job. Yep. Also, Odo is a fucking management guy. He doesn't like unions and mobs. Yeah, that his take on anything that you need to protest to get as you know, worth having. Like the way those Bajorans were always kind of a fucked take. Those Bajorans were always trying to stand up to their Cardassian management. It's jerks. Um, Worf is still messed up in his head about the lack of order on DS9. He eventually decides to move. That was the whole B-plot, but, like, what else am I supposed to get out of that? Sisko was told Odo not to interfere with the strike. He also makes Worf, Bashir, and O'Brien stay in jail overnight for brawling, and then he strong-arms Quark into negotiating. Lita, we are told, is still dating Bashir. But, like... Yeah. They know what, Bashir never talks about it, and we never see... The they have one it. scene together in the in the top of the show, and it frankly doesn't seem like they're dating in that scene. Nope. And in none of the other episodes, Bashir's never like, well, I gotta date Lita, I gotta, I got a hot date I gotta go to, or anything. It's just not coming up. He's not, he's like, constantly not telling Dax, she's not as dumb as she looks. <laughs> right. Well, we already know she's... I know how she looks, but she's not dumb. Dax would be convinced she's the Trill expert on the whole fucking station. Oh, that's right. I forgot she's, like, basically Dax's best friend, according to that one episode. So weird. Uh, anyway, she, maybe she's starting to get sweet on Rom by the end of this episode. I don't know. Uh, it seems like so. she's starting to at least think of it. She's seeing him in a new light, let's say that. Yeah. Brunt is in this episode. Aside from having a thing for Lita, we don't really learn much about him. Um, after reading all of that... No, because there's all the stuff between Quark and Rom. Yeah, I'll keep it at a six. <laughs> You were going to downgrade it a little bit, I didn't maybe? write a lot of good things in there. Yeah, uh, I'm a four. Okay. Um, first of all, Odo is kind of a goblin, and you know, I'm into that. <laughs> yep. Uh, Worf is gr- super grumpy, and the fact that no one is on his side just makes it worse and worse. Yeah. Like, he's constantly telling people about his emotions, and they're constantly telling him, you're wrong. Yeah, each So that's, that's going to be frustrating for him, for sure. Yeah. Uh, O'Brien now gets in fights with superior officers, but you know, the Enterprise was boring, so <laughs> he likes it better out here where he's constantly being murdered or a clone of him is being murdered or, you know, we've always had this idea from watching, watching these shows that power play O'Brien somehow made it on DS9. And I wonder <laughs> if we're going to start to learn that he was kind of always like this because well again data's day wasn't a great look and then the wounded's not a great look and you just go oh wait maybe he is always shitty let's keep a real eye out during power play for my new theory he didn't get it brian 
was just playing along. He hurt himself in some way, and the thing bounced off him like it did with Riker or whatever. And he's right. just like, oh, oh, yeah, no, we should take hostages. I take this stupid one. This like, I'm bitch sure with the, the baby. End, I'm sure at the end in Cargo Bay 4 or whatever, it's going to look like one of the little balls of light comes out of him and goes into that confinement beam or whatever. <laughs> But maybe if we watch closely, it'll turn out that it doesn't. Maybe there's a scene in the back where Dr. Crusher has a tricorder and she's really giving him some stink eye. Where she's like, <laughs> got him out in the corner and she's like, you're not, nothing happened to you. And yeah, Troy is 100% taken over in that episode. So she, she can't, can't yeah, uh, exactly. crane her neck back into the shot and give him a crazed look. He's just shrugging his shoulders at Crusher going, I swear to God, I swear to God, I, I was definitely inhabited. There was a being in me. Uh, oh, and uh, yeah, and Rom masturbated so much he almost died. So not everyone, not everyone's best outing this week. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and no Cisco, no Kira. Yeah, uh, yeah, Kira like O'Brien. Kira sits O'Brien down in the bar at the end of this episode to get drunk after this episode long B plot about Worf, and I just went poor Nana. Yeah, she she would have got a lot to do she, in a previous season. She ain't in this shit anymore. She got unless Ducat's in town, she ain't doing anything. <laughs> it, it has been rough. It's been a rough transition for her. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it's a four for me. Okay. Uh, I'm a few quick hitters. Do it. Yeah. Um. What does Ben mean by when does Worf dye his hard lighter? I think he must mean hair. When does Worf dye his hair lighter? Oh, his hair does have a little red in it these days, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, in the 90s? Sometime around season six, I want to say. In the 90s, there, everyone walked around on every TV show with this weird reddish yeah. hair. Like, everyone was using the exact same hair dye color. And it is so distinctly 90s. If you turn on a show and they got that color, you go, oh, I know when this was made. <laughs> Uh, Star Trek is a world where someone can say, put this on, we're going to the holodeck, and the other person doesn't ask what for until they arrive and they're in front of the camera. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I never thought to ask. <laughs> um, and he doesn't say anything, they don't, they don't say anything like, you know, this whole time I kept, I, I thought like five times you were starting to tell me why we were dressed <laughs> like this, and you kept telling other sure stories. at some point you were going to explain to me why I was wearing furs. Yeah. Uh... A standard labor contract seems like it takes away a lot of room for individual Ferengi to make little profit plays. It's kind of the opposite of what I'd expect. Yeah, you think they're like uh, the Wild West, a uh, full-on right. free market kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, man, ain't that just a problem everywhere? Ferengi workers don't want to stop the exploitation. They want to find a way to become the exploiters. That's right. Fucking Yankee traders, dude. What this mean, Yankee trader? The uh, have made a lot of strides waiting. too, dude. They're like uh, <laughs> the opposite of the Nausicans. It is true that they are a lot more. Uh, well, let's just say the Universal Translators gotten better at their language. <laughs> yeah. That was first contact, basically. So, except for that time, Picard forgot about. Well, there was that one time, but I don't know if they even talked. Look, that incident wasn't that big a deal. Yes, his ship got blown up and he got court-martialed, but like he didn't really remember it. <laughs> Okay, that's still the most baffling part of that entire shitty episode that he's like, Stargazer, I kind of I remember something. Oh, yeah, no, I had a ship called Stargazer. Yeah, I used to have another ship and uh, battle some kind of battle with Frankie. Oh, that's how I lost that ship. And it's yeah. like, whoa, shit. Okay. 
in case you ever watch this episode again, in this unionizing scene, is Rom's undershirt made of the same material as the panels in Lita's pants from the last scene? <laughs> That's I'm not going back to check. Yeah, me neither. But like, if so, sloppy. They had so much of that material. They have to give O'Brien a big nasty cyst, huh? They can't leave him alone for a minute. Those <laughs> column was thinking when he got his fucking hey, pages. Uh, so Rom's gonna go to Bashir because he wants union advice, but we should have O'Brien be the one, right? Yeah, it seems like O'Brien's yeah, a man more of like the his character. A commoner. Okay, so he's gotta be in sick bay when this happens. He's got a big weird growth on his neck. What about his shoulder? He's got a kayak thing. I oh, said he's got a growth. Kayaking, or maybe he injured himself in the Battle of Clontarf or whatever. <laughs> Nah, look how dumpy he is. It's for sure a cyst. He's got a weird skin condition. Uh, also, he knows an awful lot about this relative of his from Pennsylvania. Yeah, I don't know anything about vagina. <laughs> Hold on, let me write that down. <laughs> okay, also, whenever one of these things comes up, it's always a relative in the male line, right? Mm-hmm. Like... It's Sean Aloysius O'Brien. Would it actually be confusing to anyone if he had said, my ancestor, Sean Aloysius Crane, was a union man? <laughs> I know. Like, he had 200 ancestors living in 1902. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> the, yeah, it could have been anybody. It's, but it has to be one of the O'Briens. Uh-huh, yeah. I don't remember. You must have already done the one where Janeway, her ancestor, built a thing in Indiana. And it was the... It was New Year's Eve. Did we not do that nope. one yet? Hold on. Nope. I don't think we've done <laughs> that one, buddy. Sub question. Is that the same one with the silver? <laughs> Sub question. Silver blood? Have we done silver blood yet? Did nope. we do it yet? Okay. Well, spoiler <laughs> alert. We're going to get to see one of Janeway's um, long dead relatives who did a thing. And I can't remember if her name is Janeway, but it would be wild <laughs> because she's a lady. And yeah, so, well, First of all, it fucking always is, right? Yep. The only time it's not is when Beverly's grandmother is a Howard and not a Crusher. But mm-hmm. even then, I think it kind of, there's something about it doesn't make sense because it's like Beverly's, Beverly's last name was Howard, but it's like generations of Howard women. And then it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah anyway. They, they, don't, but, they don't think these things through. But it's also like they don't. It's like they think we'll be confused if the if his ancestor didn't have the last name O'Brien. He's, but it's like he said that he was related to him, but their names is different. You know, one of your four grandparents has your last name. One of your eight great-grandparents has your last name. Mm-hmm. It's like or was born with your last name, you know what I'm saying? But like the it gets increasingly unlikely the further back you <laughs> go, go back to that, that, that a that a random ancestor of yours has the same last name. But always in TV when when one of Picard's ancestors was That's shitty to an Indian, Picard, it yeah. was a Picard. Yep, yep, you're right. It so. is. They make it incredibly easy for us to track at home. Um, the yeah. name of the episode is eleven fifty nine, and it is the hundred and seventeenth episode of Voyager. All right, cool, cool. So thir- about thirty more weeks. You got, you got that to look forward to. Listen, that's over an entire year from now. God, I will not remember that we've discussed it. Yep. <laughs> um. I used to get so bored on Enterprise, I'd make up little games. Like, if someone came in and asked about their friend who I beamed over the day before, I'd say I never saw him. Then I'd tell Riker that that person just came in, said nothing, and walked away. Anyway, great fun. 
boy, that is exactly the kind of thing that I do when I'm bored. Because I they just make up little games to play at work. I used to do shit like that at the newspaper. Like when I invented a feud between two high school soccer coaches to see if I could get it to actually start in real life. Because then I can see <laughs> high school soccer is very boring. <laughs> Um, no, they bit, yeah, dude. They bit. See. They went for it. They've decided to be rivals. <laughs> uh, that's too much power. Uh, I can see you were in my notes because here I have written, man, I was sure Cisco wasn't going to be in this one. Uh-huh. Um, you always said you wanted to be an only child, Rom tells Quark. Today, for instance, you said that. Yep. Well, they had to show They had to show us you saying that. I couldn't just assert that you always said you wanted to be an only All the child. other mean things you said weren't enough. You have to actually say it on camera. Uh, yeah, well, again, what the fuck happened to the Nausicans after Archer's time? Uh, whoever invented the phrase pressing charges really ruined the portrayals of justice on TV. The idea that Quark has any say about whether Brunt and his goons are tried for beating him up is laughable. Odo caught them in the act, and we know there are cameras everywhere. Why would Quark even have to testify? Yep. Like, how can Quark say, he'll be back on the street because I'm not going to press charges? What? Uh, yeah, these writers, they don't know how it works. They haven't even seen Law and Order. Like, Odo's going to let him go because Quark says, it's fine that he broke my eye. Yeah, could you please let him go? He's actually my good buddy. My final quick hitter? I like how Ferengi use their mortarboards as a chance to accessorize the outfit. <laughs> like Rom showing up when he's in that Bajoran gray and green technician's outfit. He's got that green mortarboard yeah, on. Yeah, it is pretty good. It's, I, I don't remember the first time we saw them start to really play with that. It's uh, after it's, Last Outpost. Is it, the, is, it the red, is it the red Ferengi in Future Imperfect? God, am I... Is it the Ferengi on the bridge? Is he the first one that's got a... It's possible. I'm trying to think Color-coordinated mortarboard. I'm trying to think if, like, Damon Tog or anybody had something going I mean, on back a, there. A lot of guys have, like... What I would say, what I would call kaleidoscope mortarboards, <laughs> where it's just a bunch of little panels of metallic uh, glitter. Yeah. But yeah, I gave best actor this week to Rom and worst actor to. Did you know they hired professional dart players for the Nausicans for that one background shot? To throw darts at each other? Uh huh. You don't need professional. What? Uh, listen, if you don't get professional dart players, the insurance is not going to let you have them throw darts at each other. Probably <laughs> right. I'd love to believe that they're like, we're going to have them throw darts at each other. And they're like, well, you better have pro dart players then. Okay, listen, uh, the underwriters say that we can do it if we hire pro dart players to do it. <laughs> what difference does it make? They're throwing them at each other. Yeah, I know. Ugh. But like, but they're being paid to throw them at each other by a production. So it's, <laughs> yeah. If you throw one into someone's eye, that is, uh, <laughs> as opposed to the, the uh, foam yes. pad on their stomachs. It probably does make a difference for the Boy, it's insurance. Reasons. Such a big target. Okay, it is a big target, and they're not far from each other. But yes, um, I've listened. I've watched. There's lots of videos and gifs on the internet of people throwing darts into each other. So <laughs> be careful with it, everyone. Um, I already said my quick hitter about Kira showing up at the very end of this episode. <laughs> um, there were times in this one where Rom. Really reminded me of a short Kwang Su. Uh, well, he is. Yeah, I can see his it. mannerism. Kwang Su just a tall Rom. Sure, he's, he could just be a tall Rom, but it's his, with the face of a dog. His mannerisms and his weird fucking goblin face and 
it's just re I I saw him and I think I was extra delighted the rest of the episode after I saw that. Cause then I got to imagine a world where again we've replaced Troy with Song Geo and we've replaced <laughs> Rom with Kwang Su. <laughs> When did we replace Troy with There's an idea I had several weeks ago that just replacing Troy with Songjia would make the show much better because she wouldn't she wouldn't play it any of the same ways. That would be totally different. Because she's so mong that she would just be in there <laughs> not paying attention to anything. Anyway. I guess I just wish I want to watch Running Man. I mean. Uh, I mean, we both have been, so that's good. Oh, it never stops. They are at episode five. 13? 13. 513 was this week. Shit done. Um, yeah, that's it for me. I'm not heavy on quick hitters this week. Oh, wait, there's a TNG next. Uh, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I know it looks like at an hour and 43 minutes, there's a chance we get out of this one without too much damage. But the winner last week was TNG, and this week we watched Devil's Do. Bomb, bomb. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Data is doing the big you're just some mustard scene from a Christmas carol for Picard and Picard only. You're just some mustard. And he talks about trusting your senses over and over again, but um, Picard doesn't want to tip his hand about the episode. So instead, they talk about Data's big experiment. Mm. He's using method acting to try and elicit some emotions in himself. Enterprise gets a distress call from Ventax 2, where the science station is caught up in looting and riots stirred up by an apocalyptic prophecy about the end of the world. Uh, luckily, Enterprise is next door. Always. They get there right quick. And they make contact, uh, but the station is breached and they can't get everyone out, but they do get the team leader, Dr. Clark. Boy, is that exactly what happened in um, Who Watches the Watcher? Didn't they get, like, one guy out of that science team, and then they had to bargain for the other guys or something? I think they got two, but one was missing. Something like that. Uh, Well, there's none of that. There's no uh, prosthetic makeup in this one. No. I mean, there's a lot of prosthetic makeup in this one. I mean, yes. But not in-universe. Clark... Uh, gave us a briefing. Ventex 2 used to be very scientifically advanced before they deliberately regressed to an agrarian society. And everything was going well until their current leader, Akos Jared, became real obsessed with an old legend about Ardra, the Ventaxian devil. Mm. This dude calls up right then <laughs> and tells them there's nothing he can do for their missing team members because the prophecies have been coming true and everyone's going super crazy. Yeah. You know, my prophecies, the ones that I keep talking about, it's my fault. Yeah. Uh, Data explains it to everyone. Ardra promised the people of Ventex to a thousand years of peace and prosperity in return for their servitude when she returned. Picard beams down with Worf, Data, and Troy and tells Jared he's being very silly about some earthquakes. Mm -hmm. But exactly at that moment, a woman flashes in and says, time's up. It's me, the devil. She gives a... Sorry? It's me, the devil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She gives a bunch of orders, asks for a big audit, tells everyone that she is Ardra, as well as a bunch of other devils. She becomes Feklar of Klingon right there in front of everybody. Feklar of Klingon. Picard demands to see the contract, so they take him to their dust vault, um, where they keep it. 
Uh, Ardra orders Jared to release the hostages, and Picard leaves Data on the planet to look over the original contract. In the briefing room, Hold on, just Picard real, and- real quick. Given that this whole episode is going to be about proving this lady's not the devil, spoiler alert, it is yeah. baffling that he asks to see the contract. Yeah. That's a real, why did I have the bowl, Bart? Why did I have the bowl? The well, here's contract? The he watched the game tape from uh, Ensigns of Command. Uh-huh. And he was, frankly, a little embarrassed by how late it took him to read the contract. <laughs> read the treaty yes. with the... Uh, Harada? You know, before, so they could nominate the Grisella or whatever. Sure. So he's going... He's Listen, let's start... Data's got nothing to do. Let's start with the contract okay. this time. Well, that makes sense, then. Uh, in the briefing room, Picard and Troy both mentioned that the economic forecasts this lady asked for are uh, a little suspicious, and uh, they come down on the idea that she's probably a con man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Worf <laughs> says, but what about her magic? <laughs> um, or something equally similar. And so Picard dumb. says... Hey, we can do all of the things she did. Yeah. Like, we could do all that shit. Um, it's just that she's good. She's, you know, she's a performer. She's good at it. Um, they find Ardor waiting on the bridge when they get out of the uh, conference room. She uses uh, some kind of force field to prevent Worf from throwing her off of it. Uh, Picard has her beam down to the planet, but <laughs> there she is again. Yeah, right at Ops. Uh, Data walks in and he reports that the, uh, listen, the contract? Seems seems legit, man. Airtight. It's airtight. Uh, this contract with the devil little, from a thousand years ago? Airtight. That's a little wacky, yeah. but that's true. Uh, and uh, this is the point where she claims that since Enterprise was in orbit when she arrived, she owns it, too. Yeah. Picard calls Data into his office for a scene that is for us and not for them. Uh-huh. To tell Data about how I talk about how Ardra is a con man and how data. This is just like in the Christmas Carol. (laughs) And I need you to find a loophole so I can expose her as a con man. Then, you know, I guess he falls asleep. It's just like how Scrooge figured out the ghosts were a con man. Yeah. And he he exposed them and he didn't have to be a good person in the end. Specifically, he tries to connect it because, like, fear is a big motivator, yes, and he, he thinks does. that the con- that's what the the whole basis of this contract or whatever. Anyway, mm-hmm. he goes to sleep, falls asleep reading a book, uh, and um, boy, uh, Ardra sexes in in some lingerie to try and put the moves on him, and some wild hair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Picard tells her she's a hoe, so <laughs> she puts on a Victorian dress. <laughs> How does she know about his Victorian uh, how fantasy? Does she, how does she know? It's a very good question. It's exactly what his wife's wearing in the Nexus. And or does this awaken something in him? <laughs> uh, <laughs> then she turns into Counselor Troy yeah. because this is proof that she's not the devil because the devil would have turned into Crusher. Yeah, clearly has no clue what's going but on. But she's never head. seen any other woman on Picard's staff and she no one has even told her about Crusher. Also, clearly Marina Sear just needed something else to do in this episode. Uh, exactly, yeah. Um, then when he still says no, she beams him down to the science station in his jammies and I guess she blocks the transporter too because Data has to come fetch him in a shuttle. Hmm. Uh, on the way back up, Data tells him he's found some uh, arbitration precedent, but the Enterprise just disappears in front of them, and Data has to take the shuttle back to the planet. Good thing he brought that uniform with him. It is good. 
Uh, it's a good thing Jordy asked for it. Yeah. Um, Jordy says, hey, when she hid the ship, there was a... Because he's been down on the planet trying to... Earthquakes? Figure out the Why earthquakes. did they send him down I think there? it's figuring out the earthquakes. Situation. Yeah. Uh, he says, hey, there was a big blip in the... Uh, like in the power grid or whatever the fuck when she hid the ship. If you guys can keep her doing her magic tricks, I'll be able to track down the power source. Jordy is uh, a, a quiet hero in this episode. Yeah. Uh, she pops in there too uh, to gloat. Um, but she agrees to the arbitration clause if Picard will agree to be her fucking nasty sex slave forever if she wins. It's a really weird turn. I don't know... I, th- I guess she thinks she can distract him. She can't really want this to be part of the deal. I will... Uh, this is the point where I remind you that this was written as a TOS episode. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I see. Uh, yes. And they just um, said Kirk equals Picard, that's it. I mean, uh, it's just the kind of thing that would have happened, yeah. right? She chooses Data to arbitrate. And Data... St- tells Picard, listen, you know I'm going to do this by the books. <laughs> At the trial, Jared tells Data that the planet used to cold suck until Ardra came along, and Data agrees that she has established herself as Ardra per the signs in the contract. Okay. Picard attempts to have the contract dismissed because she hasn't proven that she has the power to fix the Vintaxian society, which seems like the worst possible legal tack to take. <laughs> But you have to remember, he needs her to do magic tricks. Yeah, he is now, since they are, again, since they are morally certain she's a fake, that's what they're focused on, is just exposing yeah. her. They actually don't care about the arbitration yeah. at this point. Um, She does the same three tricks again, earthquakes, she makes Picard disappear and reappear, she turns into the devil, mm-hmm. and then she asks Picard if he can explain how she performed them. Uh, Jordy locates the coordinates of her ship, but nothing appears to be there. It must be cloaked, etc. Picard starts questioning Jared about the fulfillment of the contract, and it turns out that Ardra fucked right off after this thing was signed, and Ventax did all the work itself. Mm-hmm. But Jared says he has no doubt that without Ardra, the world would have continued towards its destruction, and he's satisfied with the fulfillment of the contract. As you said... This is when Jordy the Silent Hero shows up again mm-hmm. and uh, gives Picard a knowing look and Picard gets a recess and, and Jordy tells him privately that he found her ship. He made contact with the cloaked and jammed Enterprise. And then Picard says, this is what I'd like to do. <laughs> and then it cuts away. Yes. And by the way, you've got an hour. Yeah, you've got an hour. Yeah. Back in court uh, with the recess over, Picard asks Jared if he trusts his senses, and when he says he does, Picard says, Ardra's powerless, and then he makes an earthquake happen. He asks Ardra to stop it, and she can't. Mm-hmm. So he makes her disappear and reappear. Then he becomes Feklar of Klingon. Finally. And then he spills the beans on the whole thing. They captured her ship, and they've been using her own program to do the illusions. Mm -hmm. So she begins the process of releasing the Ventaxians from their obligations to try and get the fuck out of there. Despite the fact that Picard's got her ship. Yeah. Where's she going to go? And data dissolves the contract as Ardra is arrested by uh, Jared. Uh, She sex taunts Picard one more time and triumphant music plays as Picard and data leave the courtroom. You're not kidding about that score in that last scene. That was the score from a much more important episode. (laughs) It kind of was, huh? Matt, what's this one about? All right, here we go. 
Understanding fear and superstition is the key to understanding and controlling people. I agree. People are dumb as hell. I gave it a seven. (laughs) (sighs) Um, Yeah, well, Ben says, don't be a mindless slave to religion and take responsibility for your future. Um, (sighs) He says it tries to make its point too strongly in that he thinks religion can have an undeniably positive effect for a person or population over a long period of time as a unifying force. And so he only gives it. And can you imagine getting to watch it happen all over again? Yes. Right here. Finally, we'll get to see. (laughs) God, you know, what's great. The best part about it is that they can't make fun of it. It just can't be made fun of. That's really the part that like, they've tried to make fun of it, but they just can't. Like It's cool to see Jesus. Like the word of Jesus to spread on another planet. But the fucking best part is that if you tried your hardest, you were like a real fucking master of insult. You still couldn't make fun of the one Christian (laughs) God. Here's the take for this episode. Uh, Your eyes can be deceived. So you still have to do the work of asking how a thing can be possible. Uh Science. like, the reality is, this is an old TOS Phase 2 script where Kirk was supposed to go in and put a backwards society on the right track. Mm. So it doesn't have a very focused message, but um, but that's what it's about. Like, even if you believe that something works or, or can work or has worked, you there's still benefit in asking how such a thing is possible. Like, what the mechanism is or... Mm-hmm. You know, if Archer even picked up a one single piece of trash, uh, I it's not a big take for me. I actually only gave it a three. Okay. Guess you ignored that great framing device about uh, <laughs> whatever the Christmas Carol, whatever was happening there. Um, well, no, I mean th- th- it's actually based on that framing device where Data says that he doesn't trust his senses. A little thing upsets them. Right. You could be a blot of cheese or etc. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, for execution, hmm. uh, however, I am a five. Okay. Picard and Data belong in a courtroom, so that part of the episode is pretty okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Ardra is well played, but her obsession with Picard is not well motivated. I mean, at all. I, I can only yeah. have, I just have to assume things about it. Like, she must think this is a good strategy. Like, somehow, something about him being distracted by her poon is gonna help her win this fucking... Because he's the only... Like, Starfleet is there, and that fucks up her plan, because they are not convinced at all that she is the devil. Right. She has to fool them somehow. Or she can't fool them. She has to get rid of them somehow. And she must think that sexing him is gonna be a ticket to that. But then, even after she's arrested, she's like... uh, She still wants to fuck him. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty baffling that Enterprise couldn't figure out how to break out of that cloaking field <laughs> or, say, disable the ship once they were inside the cloaking effect, because once they were inside of it, they must have been able to detect it. I think that uh, her ship used the Crimson Force field, and Riker knows yeah, I that think that, it that thing fucking did. Riker knows that thing can't be beat. Uh, I guess the bench isn't very deep once Picard, Data, and Geordi are off world, huh? That's right. Off ship, rather. Well, yeah. Uh, if it's just fucking Riker and Worf up there and Troy saying yeah, she doesn't know what's up, that's it. Probably didn't even think to call old Smiley to see what he thought was <laughs> going on. 
uh, Troy can't find solutions if Data isn't in the conference room with her, maybe. Yep. It's still a better watch than if it had been a TOS episode. Even if having Data give a big speech about how a little thing affects the senses of the top is pretty hack. Um, so it's just a five for me. Uh, ben gave it a four. He's always specifically hated the nasally accent that Data puts on. <laughs> yes, as Data's Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge is awful. He says it seems disrespectful. <laughs> to a fictional character? Uh-huh, or maybe just to a whole, the entire British Isles. I don't know. Uh, Picard undercuts uh, this lady's authenticity to the camera right away, and there never seems to be a doubt. Just a problem to be solved. I I didn't mind that, though. Like, what, are we supposed to think she might be the devil? Yeah, that's a very good point. I certainly would not have been happy if they'd been like, but what if she's the devil, though? Like, there is, there is, they address it in the initial conference room briefing. Because Worf is an idiot. They're like, listen, there's hella super powerful aliens running around. That there's This galaxy is fucking stuffed full of them. Some even have mega strength. You've got Q. Some are even possessed of mega strength. The Dowd. We don't know that there was only one. Yeah. We don't know that it's not Kevin Uxbridge. He could be getting weird with it. That's right. Uh, uh, John Doe just turned into one of these dudes. Who knows what they're up to? Yeah. Uh, Nagilum. Sure. You know, the universe is fucking full of crazy powerful beings that could play at the devil. And they're like, yeah, she did seem real interested in like money, ta- taxes, <laughs> yeah. and the economy, though. So, <laughs> what does God mean? It doesn't seem the like she's on the up and up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was a, a four from ben um <clears throat> just to back up my take there's that opening play with data and picard there's the way jared is in a total damn panic and doesn't even try to compose himself just turns over the whole government to this lady he just seen for the first time <laughs> the events of a thousand years ago even show how superstition is what sort of fixed their planet in the first place the the fear and idea of this devil I guess it's why Starfleet can't be beaten in this case. Like, she knows she can't scare him, so she actually has to win her dumb argument instead. Um, her tricks are more focused on pissing them off until they leave, or until maybe Starfleet does something to make the Ventaxans turn on them, maybe. But she never understood what scares Picard and company. Also, I mean, her, it's a bad plan. Like... Let's say that she takes over this planet. What if Starfleet comes back? Mm-hmm. This, this is a farm planet. Yeah, what are they going to do? Your one they ship? They're going to get her. You're going to have your one ship in orbit to fucking force cloak everybody? <clears throat> Despite the ideas described in the premise, this episode actually avoids trying to be scary the entire time. They go with silly instead. Pretty much. And I kind of enjoyed it. Like, it allows you to focus more on the procedural elements of figuring out this lady's schemes, and you get the legal episode and some tactics from Picard and team. The stakes don't, like, try to get in the way. Ardra gives uh, a fucking until we meet again, and I don't understand that. There was never any chance on first viewing. <laughs> it was just not, it was just not going to happen. That we'd ever meet this lady again. Like, uh, for real, she just. She just kept, she just busted into town, pretended to be the devil, caused caused earthquakes. Yeah, maybe there's nothing in the books, but she's not gonna make it. This is, maybe this is a Kevin Oxbridge situation with regard to the earthquakes, but she is certainly culpable for all the looting and rioting <laughs> that took place. Uh, 
I, I don't know. If these, guys, these guys seem nice, but like... If they've got a death don't penalty. You, don't you feel like she's getting a Saddam Hussein-style <laughs> secret hanging where someone is going to sneak a cell phone in? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're never going to see that lady again. And like you said, the score in the last scene suddenly becomes so glorious and triumphant, which belies <laughs> the meager impact this mission will have on the rest of the series. Um, overall, I enjoyed it and I gave it a six. Uh, world building, then. Ben's a three. He said the Ventaxian buildings look like Klingon pyramids, but I was too busy scribbling down notes to pay attention. Did you Did you <laughs> see what they looked like? Uh, it was the standard future city okay. matte painting, but some of the buildings were on fire. Okay, good. good. <laughs> but not like I'm sure. Not Angel One I'm slash sure Romulus, If we right? go to X Astra Cientia Ventax Two, I'm sure it'll be in one of the reuses. Okay, but not uh, not Angel One though, right? Not that one. Not that good Angel One matte painting. No, it is it is a couple of pyramids. It's not Angel One. Okay. Huh. I don't have a list of this re- reuses. Hmm. Oh no. Uh it's the it's the Starbase Oh no, that's the planet. Sorry. The planet is a reuse ah. in of the Schizoid Man, the Vengeance Factor, and the Mind's Eye. Uh yeah, they got a lot of those sort of glowy planets that are just used all over the place. Uh anyway, so it was a three for world building from Ben. I agreed I gave it a three. Picard thinks of method acting as an old-fashioned approach. Um, to Ventax 2, there's a science station there for some reason. The planet's in chaos, mass hysteria, because they think the dang old devil is coming back. These guys used to be technologically advanced, but then a thousand years ago, they turned their back on technology. Lots of different devil names from different cultures are brought up, including, of course, Feklar, Keeper of Grethor. Where the dishonored dead go. Yeah. It's where Kern was headed. They question whether this lady might be a Q. You can make earthquakes. Or Q. Or just Like Q. not just another member of the Q continuum, but just Q putting on a laugh. Mm-hmm. It seems like something he'd do. Uh, you can make earthquakes with tractor beams. That sounds scary. Yeah. That's Doesn't that seem like a, maybe a powerful weapon? If this were Babylon 5, we'd see that get put into fucking... Put into use. Uh, Picard's broad authority to interfere and save these people from themselves. Do they even talk about well, whether or not it should be Kirk? <laughs> I was gonna say, do they even talk about whether or not they should interfere? No, they don't. I don't think there's. So a he's. I mean, hey, they've got a science team down there. Maybe the Prime Directive doesn't apply to these guys because they were technologically understood. Advanced, but we don't know how. But advanced. like the general idea of non-interference that Starfleet yeah. seems to have. No, especially. Well, I mean, there's a very, very brief window between the time when Jared says they're going to return the rest of the team and when Ardra claims Enterprise. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Once she claims Enterprise, it's kind of rough. She should not have yeah. done that. Um, Data sucks as a person, but is a good computer. Picard yep. feels comfortable asking him to check all Ventaxian legal precedent for the last thousand years. And then he says they'll talk about it in the morning and he goes to bed. Yeah, it's true. He goes to read a book. Sounds like a calm down. A complex research project to give someone for just overnight, but I guess that's Data's main use. Well, how long did they give Kira to uh, figure out the trail? <laughs> couple, couple, couple days? Couple hours? How long was I it? I find it hard to believe she cracked many books on that one. 
She well, it was bad when her expert testimony started. Webster's Dictionary <laughs> defines trill. <laughs> By then, it's taken on the meaning of that it has now. That it's just like a, a cool slang term. Um, Ardra has a bad copy of a Romulan cloaking device, uh, which Jordy found with a wavelength stretch out. By the way, this is a, that is also how you know that this is a TOS script. The because it seems wild that she's got a cloaking device to Picard. Yeah, I mean it is kind of wild. Like, has she done any other big scores before? Well, she's got fifteen aliases. She has the death penalty on twelve systems. Oh, okay, basically. so then yeah, she's been caught a million times. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't. She never tricks anybody. This is why she thinks she's going to escape. But this is a. I think she has underestimated it. I don't think she escapes this one. Yeah. Uh, those Vintaxan guards look real silly. They're wearing, like, those foil blankets police hand out during an emergency, but as capes. <laughs> it looks very bad. Why did they make them like that? Yeah, I don't know. Jared seems like he's dressed more or less normal. He kind of doesn't seem like he's the leader of a whole planet, but, I mean, his outfit's not wild. Yeah. Um, if anything, out of everything in the episode, those guards look the most TOS. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the um, the guards and the or the uh, the trogs in the uh, <laughs> trog lights and the uh, the, geez, cloud the cloud minders. minders? Yeah. Oh yeah, these guys were cloud minders. <laughs> the fucking sure. visors aren't even on screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the the porno budget that that episode was on for <laughs> sure. Yes, I remember. <laughs> yeah, so just put this mask on. I don't know, he looks pretty good. I think we're good to go. <laughs> I don't know, he looks like an alien? <laughs> That's how aliens I should have right? said Martian. He looks like a Martian? He's a Martian. He's That's a great. good enough. A guy with a big, like, fucking lantern jaw, but then also he's got he's got a mask on. Yeah, threes for me and Ben. What about you? One. Oh, boy. All right. Um. So, uh, Feckler of Klingon, of course. Yeah. Uh... I don't believe that anything about this extradition or the uh, this arbitration treaty or legal precedent or anything is ever going to be important in the world. Probably not. Uh, a hollow projection without any obvious emitter seems off based on everything we have seen so far. Uh, the fact that they can just project to make them look like the devil wherever, just in the courtroom or on the bridge or wherever. Seems like they're doing it with the transporter or something, and I don't know yeah, how I don't that know. works. But like, uh, you know, when Bagard says it's just like tractor beams and transporters and holography and it's like, well, okay, but how did you make it do it there, though? Funny story. Okay, so they accidentally found some 29th century tech. Ah, cool, 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 cool. (laughs) It's a mobile emitter. Did they find it in 1990s L.A.? Yeah, uh, but that's okay because it was a guy who crashed in the 60s. All right, cool. Mm. Microsoft. Yeah, just like that feels like bad. So I only gave it a one. Plus, there's really... This is a Planet of the Week episode. Oh, there's sure. very little world building here. That's fair. And I'm only afraid I'm only a two for characterization. Oh, dang. Um, Worf is an idiot, huh? He's continuing his slide. Yeah. Picard is definitely not horny for powerful women. <laughs> Though you know he loves a scoundrel from Captain's Holiday. Yeah, it did like, kind of seem really, like he'd be into it. 
aren't Vash and Ardra on the same spectrum. Like maybe Ardra's a couple of notches too evil. Yeah, like Vash was definitely going to steal that toxic top. For sure. And who knows what she'd do with it. I mean, I guess uh, she it. was kind of a con woman too, mm-hmm. probably. Um, He also is not as all in on religion is for idiot babies here as he was in Who Watches the Watchers. Yeah. He just gets more carried away with a con artist angle, I think. I guess Data is officially faking it till he makes it again, like when he just used to practice sneezing. <laughs> yep. Like, that's what this method acting thing he's doing seems like to me. And Picard says something pretty dismissive to him about how he'll really be good at stuff when he stops aping other people and comes up with his own approach. And then he just walks away. And it's like, damn! Uh, I like LeVar Burton, and as you said... Jordan Jordy is the low-key hero of this episode, but I kind of didn't pick up one new idea or thing about his character here. Nope. He's just the ship's engineer. Yep. He doesn't really say or do. He doesn't say anything. Yeah. He just does everything off screen, mostly. And uh, no one else is in it. <laughs> yep. So it's a two for me. Sorry. Ben agreed. Um, he asks, wouldn't you just be like a tiny bit interested in what the devil had going on in the bedroom department? <laughs> or even just this nasty con artist and again it does seem like maybe it's inconsistent that Picard is definitely out on this lady he finds her obvious yeah. and vulgar yeah well let's see um, here's what I got Data is still learning about literature and performance and theater and shit on the holodeck he uh, he pulls a Riker here and suggests he not be allowed to be Arbiter because he'll be too damned good at it <laughs> Um, uh, Riker didn't want to be responsible for Data getting destroyed. It's not that he was sure he was going to be great at it. I'm sure he believed he was going to be good <laughs> Otherwise, at it. Otherwise, what would the risk be? But he also didn't believe that Data was property, and he didn't want to have to make that argument for about his friend. No, but he does at the end talk about how close he was to winning. Yeah, that is true. He does think he, he does think that when he took off Data's arm, it was a pretty good And argument. Data is very nice and goes, yeah, dude, you almost had it. I was, uh, I was yeah, scared. Man. I was scared. It was, yeah, it was rough. fucking scary out there. Um, Whereas, really, everything hinged on crazy-ass Philippa Louvois. <laughs> yep. Loose cannon. Yep. Fox men, she's court-martialing Philippa Louvois. Yes. Uh, Picard doesn't have enough to do, huh? Just using his in-uniform time to tutor Data in the art of acting? (laughs) More of this era of amazing times in the Federation, Picard says to Jared. Uh, well, I'm here now, so just tell everyone if the devil shows up, I'll shoot her? And that should calm him down. (laughs) Like, he is sure that that is enough. Yep. That is what it means to be captaining the flagship of the Federation at oh, this yeah. particular Post-Cold point. Oh, yeah, post-Cold War America uh-huh. was an amazing place for one minute. <laughs> That's right. We have one good minute Everyone there. let themselves believe. Everyone let themselves believe that Russia was fucking turned around now. That they were going to be super cool from here on out. Um, And his self-satisfaction before he even tries his cool tricks. The way he's talking about it in the courtroom, like, if those things fizzle, he's going to look real dumb. Well, I mean, I guess at any point he can just say, anyway, we took over her ship and she can't do the tricks <laughs> Well, anymore. that's why like, my next question was, why did he bother showing it off? He could just say, I got her ship. I, that's just for Jared, right? I guess. That's for, because he knows Jared is a superstitious ass. Yeah. Um, He almost fools this lady by tempting her with some emerald, though. He gets real close. <laughs> 
I'll show you um, how to find the fucking ma fucking magic emerald. And she's like, oh, he's like, no, I mean, no, I'm, his? <laughs> I'm the devil, so I don't. <laughs> but she t she tells him, you almost got me. <laughs> and it's like, uh, you're, you could just admit to Picard at any time that you're a con man. Uh, yeah. Like if Picard goes into court and says, she admitted to me that she was a con That's man. Hearsay. I'll just say, uh, we never had that conversation. Yeah. Uh, Troy strikes out because the plot requires it. She can't tell if this lady is lying about being the devil. Yeah, she's got an extremely disciplined mind. Can't tell. I don't know. She might think she's the devil. Who knows? Jordy just walks into the middle of this trial and says hi to the judge. Hi, Data. <laughs> just right in the middle Jordy's of the best. <laughs> LeVar Burton is the best actor at making this crazy shit seem like real. <laughs> he grounds shit. it. He grounds it as much as he it's really possible. He really does. What he, whatever got that sandwich again? <laughs> I think about that probably twice a day. How? Why did you make these well, sandwiches? Yeah. This whole conversation was five minutes. Yeah, like I did. I wouldn't even have grabbed one if I knew everyone was just gonna walk out. How's your day been though? Now I just gotta sit in your quarters and eat this sandwich. Like outside of this, or walk thing. through the hall eating a sandwich. Like we've been doing these uh, tectonic studies for like six weeks. How's your? How's it going? Are you getting lots of riding in? How are the horses? That's cool. All right. Well, I finished my sandwich. So <laughs> yeah, he just walks in in the middle of the trial. It's going on, and he just goes, "Hi, Data. Hi, Data." <laughs> Uh, and then again, he's the hero. Worf eats his words fast about this lady when she becomes Feklar. He, uh, he also directed Bar Association, by the way. Uh, Jordy? LeVar Burton. Nice. Uh, Worf is like, you are not the devil. And then she becomes Feklar and he just goes, oh, well, never mind, I guess. Uh, well, she's the devil. I guess you are magic. Guys, she's the devil. I don't know. Uh, I give it a four. Um... Well, let's start the quick hitters. <clears throat> All right, here we go. This dude's name is Acost Jared. <laughs> that is correct. Like Acost Jared from Subway? <laughs> well, um, someone should have accosted <laughs> him before he... I guess I don't know that he accosted any others, but... <laughs> no, he did, right? Didn't he fly to some... Anyway, uh, probably. let's not think about Jared from Subway. <laughs> the guy should never have been a spokesperson no. or a role model. He was just a creep who lost a bunch of weight eating a weird diet. <laughs> yep. And it's fine that he it's it's okay that he turned out to be a bad guy because he is, was never a good guy. In a certain way, it was really the only outcome. Yeah. Um but anyway, the name Akos Jared is so Star Wars. Uh it very much is. When Worf says, uh, don't go down there, you could become a hostage too." Picard nods and says, okay, I'll bring three more hostages with me. Cool? <laughs> like, are we good? Is that what you That wanted? was what you meant, right? <laughs> that was that was your plan instead? It's just so mean. And Warp just has to nod and go, ah, uh, okay. Uh, these writers are the worst. Then the slutty devil lady looks right at the oldest white guy and licks her lips because ladies love old guys like me and my nerd friends. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. <laughs> she was so... She didn't look at, like... Worf or Riker or whoever, it was just like, oh, I gotta get me some of that old, powerful white man. Yeah. Um, sort of like, what does God need with a starship? This eighty, this lady acts like she doesn't know a lot of things, including what Picard and Enterprise are. The devil doesn't have that information. Uh, yeah, she. Uh, 
clearly she does not have a lot of information about them. Yeah, she's like, who are also, these guys? Also, she's so frustrated that she can't listen into Picard and Jordy in that one scene. <laughs> <laughs> she moves like she's going to walk over there, and then she's like, that would be a bad look. <laughs> I should, I need to just stand here and take Well, they it. were really smart. If they'd like gone to another room, she could have used a trick to like spy on them. But they just walk in the same room. They just walk like just far enough away that she can't hear, and there's nothing she can do about it. Yep. Um, once again, Worf is used to put this lady over like he puts over every alien, just walks into her force field like a sucker, <laughs> and then just stands there and shr- fucking shrugs his shoulders and goes, Ow! I tried to walk at her. <laughs> That's that, I guess. Yeah. How does this lady know about Picard's Victorian fantasies? We already talked about that. Um, when she sends Picard away, where does he go? Hey, uh, yeah, well, I guess we've already gotten to quick hitters. It's okay if we have some of the same ones. Like, when he comes back, he should say something like, She sent me to her bedroom and it's full of crazy dildos! You see, uh, Data yeah. would, would hate that. He hates dildos because he's been called a hundred kilogram dildo before. And he <laughs> takes offense to that. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that. I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, he doesn't say anything. He just sits there. Like, he doesn't, it's not like, she just sent me to the other room. It's not a big deal. Uh, and then again, Feklar of Klingon. Yeah. I, sometimes they've referred to it as Klingon homeworld. Mm-hmm. And obviously. It's been Kling once or twice. It used to be Kling. And it's been. <laughs> At this point, they have mostly settled on Kronos. But, but in this you one... know, again, in TOS phase two script, I guess they didn't feel like that needed a brush up. I am Feklar of Klingon. <laughs> Um, that's it for me, Ben. Um, Ben generally thought of it as a weak episode, but it had a few bits that he'll remember forever. <laughs> I assume he means that lady's outfit. I don't know. <laughs> oh man! What about you? Um, yeah, I got a few. Um, the hostages are being released, Doctor Clark. Good. That's the end of this half of the plot. Yep. Like, we never see them. We never see Dr. Clark again. The whole thing is just like, yeah. well, okay. Someone's down there with Jordy, but they don't do nothing. That's the end of the premise. Yeah. Uh, it seems like when a weird alien pretending to be the devil turns up, you should probably go to yellow alert so she can't beam through the shields <laughs> all the time, huh? They don't really try to do anything to defend themselves. So what if she beamed no. a bomb into their fucking warp core or whatever? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, well, unless Jordy was down there to do something about it, the ship would have exploded. These guys can't... <laughs> you mean if he put his combat on it and then Troy had gone, his signal? His signal? Yep. Yeah, yeah you Troy, idiot. That's how we're going to solve this one. We're going to beam Jordy into space. Oh, yeah. Then we'll be uh, safe. We didn't, think it, we didn't think of that one, Counselor Troy. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for piping up. Uh, no one, I guess, asked that Anson where he just went on the bridge yeah i bet if he'd said alien transporter room they would have gotten a little farther along yeah in this act no one who gets disappeared gives any help at all yeah we had the same note on that i love the television compromise here she's gonna seduce picard in a lace negligee but she's gotta have a body stocking on underneath right. so you can't see her nipples or fucking it really hair. makes her it really makes her seem like she's less confident that she's letting on. That's right. Like, <laughs> Look at if my you imagine that in outfit. universe she showed up in that 
in that uh, sexy outfit, uh, but then a... like you couldn't you couldn't see anything, and you're like, "What? Are you wearing Spanx?" So it's under not there? sexy. What's happening, Ar- Ardra? Did you are you trying to seduce me in mom lingerie? <laughs> is I'm sorry. Is there a nude slip under that lingerie? We can do it. I just have to go to the bathroom first and take some of this off. Then we can <laughs> then we can really get down. So it kind of undercuts the uh, image she's portraying there a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you imagine that that was in the real world and not just a TV compromise. Maybe her species doesn't have nips doesn't have or nipples. pubes yeah, or I whatever. Thought, I promise you I thought about it okay. also. Okay. She has a Romulan cloaking device, Picard asks, in an episode where the only other visitors to this world were Klingons <laughs> and he is engaging in arbitration based on a Klingon precedent. <laughs> he has forgotten that the Klingons also have cloaking devices. The fact that her ship has one means it must be Romulan. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like it'd be way easier to get your hands on a Klingon one than a Romulan one? The Romulans definitely seem a lot more secretive. But we do know the like, Pakleds tricked them. The there's gotta time. be some Klingon equivalent of Quaalor 2 where you can just go and strip a cloaking device off a beat-up old Burrell uh, or Katinga. For the 50th time in this episode, we'll just reference the time that, um... <laughs> they just the fr- they just the phrase just bought one. Well, yes, but I mean the time that they just flew straight into Klingon space and said they were thy freighter Ursva, and no one even looked at. I them. mean, yeah, you could just probably go right to the yard where they're being built and just take one. <laughs> just requisition a cloaking <laughs> yeah, device. Probably, yeah, just say, fill out the paperwork. Uh, Garon said I could have one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have it delivered real easy. <laughs> oh man, um, well, especially if you've flown a Huey or something like it in your academy days. <laughs> Uh, the movies, uh, so the three of the movies are so good, huh? I really like, I really like them. Two, uh, two of, particularly four and six are so good. Well, huh? Marjan, I could watch two, four, or six in rotation every day. Yeah. So one of them every day. Uh, Picard has been to Kronos, speaks limited Klingon, and just arbitrated ex- the accession to the leadership of the High Council. Mm-hmm. He really should know better than to say impudence is pretending to be Feklar of Klingon. Of Klingon! Maybe Feklar was famous for saying that. Yeah. That's, that's all and I can I, think. Yeah, I, guess, I guess if that's how he referred to himself, like, before the modern nation <laughs> right. state of Kronos came into effect. Like, maybe he just always referred to himself as Feklar of Klingon, and that's why they keep doing yeah. it. Like Klingon was the name of an old empire that the Klingon people are Came called to by be outsiders, named right? You know, it's kind of like a Korea, a Korea, the Chinese Korea don't call, situation. don't think of themselves as China. It doesn't matter, but yeah. you know what I mean. Um, and I know I've said this before, but if you think about it for even one second, Riker looks like a dumb, impotent fuck for sitting there helpless, waiting for Jordy to rescue him from down on the planet. I mean, but you aren't wrong. The three people with brains are gone, and it's <laughs> just the rest of them. It's, it's just Jordy and Worf, or Riker and Worf, both trying to figure out how to shoot something. <laughs> yes. But again, the Crimson Force Field was used and they were fucking helpless. Like, I'm sure at some point, so- Science 2 tells them uh, they're jamming our subspace communications and they don't even work on that problem. <laughs> no. Uh, best actor, one piece of trash, Picard, but I'm actually going to amend that. You're right, it is high data, Jordy. High data. I know I don't want to interrupt Worst your actor. whole court thing you got going on, but, you know, hey, how's it going? <laughs> I did it. Worst actor, Dr. Clark. <laughs> yep. Too bad for that guy. Hey, but I think we oh. did it, man. We did the dang thing. Good. And um, 
It's in some interesting numbers this week. Last place, 28 points, mm. Voyager, The Killing Game Part 2. Uh, 28 points isn't that bad. It's 10 points better than The Killing Game Part 1, for instance. Yeah, I think we all agreed once you wake up all the characters, it automatically gets a little bit better. Yeah, well, we did only give it two points for world building is the problem. Yes. One of the main problems with this episode, but 28's not that bad for a weak loser. Yep. It was my last place and your second to last place. Yeah. Uh, second place this week with 31 points, TNG Devils Do. We were nine apart on this one. Yes. Yeah. You gave it a 20, which still wouldn't have been your week winner. Uh, and I gave it uh, oh, a mere 11. <laughs> 11's so pretty one bad. One of the weaker episodes of TNG uh, in my in my rating I system. was going to say, I don't know how many you've given lower points to for TNG, because they usually have a decent uh, score. Yeah, well, I gave 11 to The Loss. Okay. Looks like you gave 11 to Brothers. Okay. It's not been a good season four, huh? <laughs> no. I thought season four was supposed to be one of the better ones. Yeah, there's some filler, for sure. We've got we're in filler season. Uh Menage Troy got a six. So Oof. we don't need to look back any further than that. Okay. A six from me. Yeah. It got more from you. Uh second place this week with thirty one points, which is above the week average. Uh TNG Devils do. Um yeah, in uh Sorry, second place with yeah. 37 points, DS9 Bar Association. You were a 21, I was a 16. Yes. This was your winner, but only by a point. And that means that uh, Enterprise Whoa. notches its seventh win. That's wild. I mean... With I, Observer Effect. I like the episode fine, but it's always wild if Enterprise picks up a win. Yeah. Uh, 40 points. We each gave it 20, so no one's to blame here it's a big winner was characterization where it got 11 points i got 11 for characterization um it has uh seven wins at this point i don't know if this makes sense uh it to talk about the win percentage mm -hmm. instead uh then you can get uh tos back in the mix so tos won 21 percent of its 79 weeks yeah and that was enough for it to go out in third place uh, Enterprise has won 8%, uh, Voyager with two wins has won a little over 2%, mm -hmm. and uh, TNG's still up at around 40%, so. Yeah. Um, congratulations, Enterprise. It's uh, been a while since we played anything other than the Voyager theme. It's going to continue. Uh, and it will, unfortunately, continue, yeah. even though 28 points a lot of weeks would not be the worst. No. No, I mean, we've, look, we've had some real fucking garbage weeks in our time. Well, speaking of which, uh, <laughs> week 87, uh -huh. uh, we will be watching Clues. Clues, as usual, I think we'll have a lot of notes, and I have no idea if it will be too batshit to score points. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big mystery show. Mm -hmm. TNG always does those so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Deep Space Nine, Accession, like I said, it's yeah. going to litigate the uh, idea of the emissary. Yep. Voyager is some episode called Vis-a-Vis. -vis. Let me quickly. I don't know what that is. I'm not looking forward to it particularly, but the Voyager after that is the Omega Directive, and I'm looking forward to that way less. So. <laughs> uh, let's see. Vis-a-Vis -vis Voyager. You're going to have to come up with a clip, too, for Vis-a-Vis. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I'll probably just play something from uh, Viva La France. Yeah, so we got another identity-stealing alien. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
And uh, Enterprise, we're watching Babel 1. All right. Uh, a spiritual predecessor to TOS's journey to Babel, in which Spock said that Sarek of Vulcan <laughs> would 100% kill. Yes, definitely. He would kill him. Yeah, man. you know, I've um, one time I thought about killing him, but he beat me to it. I, he actually saw it in my eyes, and he let me live. So that's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you should watch if you're playing along. Next week is a mailbag week, finally. Oh, that means more Billy Joel. Uh, get some, get that mailbag in. We'll finish up Billy Joel round one. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll maybe do a sports roundup, depending on if there's still a baseball season next <laughs> it's week. It's very hard to tell. They it got is, off to what I would call a disastrous start. It's touch and go. It is t- touch and go is exactly the right way to describe it. Um, yeah, send us mail. It's at Brother Date on the Twitter machine. Um, again, last week, despite having a full month, it was pretty light in the mailbag. Everybody, <clears throat> I know you're busy at home with your families. Let's get our priorities straight. Listen, or fucking don't. We can fill the time. Who cares? That's right. Well, Billy Joel will take an hour anyway. Um... <laughs> Uh, you go to the website, you can check out the Billy Joel bracket, you can check out Landrew, uh, etc. That's brotherdate.com. Um, uh, what else do we normally say? iTunes? Find yeah. us on iTunes and the podcatchers to catch iTunes pods. And I think that's it, everybody. Uh, are we still saying Peldar Joy? <laughs> Peldar Joy, everybody. Peldar Joy, everybody. <laughs> you know, for the, for the high holidays. Whatever this one was called. Peace. Best part is that if you tried your hardest, you were like a real fucking master of insult. You still couldn't make fun of the one Christian god. Here's the take for this episode. Please subscribe.